Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This week's theme is home, and Alan and I will be curating a mixtape centered around one's cherished abode. Welcome back, Dave. Welcome back. Uh, home. I think we all can relate to home right now. The lockdown and quarantine being what it was, we've spent plenty of time there. Yeah, since about, uh, well, I think it was March when everything jumped off and everyone kind of had the stay-at-home order and yep. most people were working from home if they could. Of course, we're teachers, so we were thrust into e-learning and all that went with that. Absolutely. And even since the end of the school year, I, I find that I'm still largely just confined to the home and staring at the four walls, especially as new coronavirus cases continue to surge. So... We're trying to venture out as little as possible, but I'll tell you what, it has me restless. Yeah. I, I am not a homebody. So this particular this particular theme uh, came very easy as I made my song selections. Right. Well, you know what else you can do at home besides to be bored and restless? You can listen to podcasts. Well, and, and that I've done. And, and yes. some people have been listening to our podcast, which is incredible. We've, we've grown our audience again this week, and we're very thankful for that. And we had a few people that actually uh, left a few more uh, reviews on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. So I just wanted to uh, show my appreciation and read those. Uh, Mandy Rob 79 writes, uh, nostalgic and a great conversation starter. Love listening to these guys. They bring back lots of memories. And another one here says, five stars from Gen X blog. I love that you guys are paying homage to Generation X in the mixtape. I can't wait to see how this develops. I will do my part and share it on social media, which is awesome. Thank you very much. We'd, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, thanks again for making an awesome Gen X podcast. And that's from Jen from the Jennifer Chronicles. And you can find that at genx67.com. We also had uh, a heck of a review on Twitter. Oh. Um, from Mixtape Zero. Oh, Mixtape Zero. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, it, uh, Mixtape Zero wrote, as someone who puts much thought into my mixtapes, this podcast delivers a fascinating deep dive into the author's considerations of the literal and allegorical meanings, as well as the historical and cultural context of song lyrics when crafting a mixtape. And that, that's just, uh, thank you so yes. much. Can't begin to express our gratitude for the kind words. So, yes, as thankful as we are, though, can, uh, keep them coming. <laughs> if you have an opportunity, if you've enjoyed some of the past episodes or you are tuning in for the first time and listening to this episode and uh, would like to... Uh, and give us a, a review. Uh, Apple Podcasts slash iTunes is probably the best way to go or the easiest way to uh, to review us and help us expand our audience and come up on, on search engines and so forth. But hey, we love reviews on Facebook and Twitter. And you know, you can e- if you want to email us, it doesn't have to be just like, hey, you guys are great, which of course we always appreciate. No, it, <laughs> it, it can be like, you know, what you said last week, I disagree with, or this didn't make a lot of sense, or why did you choose this, or you left out a song. Um, we love having that dialogue with the audience, so please, uh, you know, write in, email. You know, I know you can only have so many characters on Twitter and, and so forth, but in an email, you can you can write a few paragraphs, and we'll yeah. definitely read it and discuss it. Absolutely, we'd love to hear from you. All right, well, let's go back to home. Uh, that's our episode here. Um, and as you mentioned, we've all kind of been stuck in, kind of going a little bit stir crazy. Uh, I've learned pretty quickly that there are only so many movies you can watch and books you can read and jigsaw puzzles that you can do uh, before you begin to, to kind of go crazy. And it's true. You know, when they talk about balance, it's you can have too much the other way. Like we had all this time and now I kind of want to get back to work. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. So oh. we can have too much work and we need a break and we can have too much of a break, which is why 
I think people who um, who retire sometimes go back and find part-time work. Oh, without question. Because the walls can get a little bit crazy after yeah. a while. Yeah, we've binge-watched about everything imaginable. Uh, plenty of, of jigsaw puzzles, and I, I even ordered some coloring books and started reliving my youth. Adult coloring books? Adult coloring books. You know, there books. are two kinds of adult coloring books. Well, no, never mind. <laughs> We're really going to do this? I st- no, I, no, I stopped using that term because we have we have uh, coloring books also in, in the library at school for kids to come in and sure. as a stress reliever and so forth. But I quit calling them adult coloring books because I think some of the boys were disappointed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Understandably. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I picked up a few new novels, but it, it got to the point, it, it has gotten to the point where I just, nothing satisfies me any any longer. And I'm just... I'm just tired and bored with myself. I mean, uh, that sounds like a song. It, 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 it does. <laughs> <laughs> one one that I did not use, although uh, I thought about it. Oh yeah, I did think about dancing in the dark. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, it's 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 been a very long several months, and it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. So we no, yep. are going to try and deliver a, a mixtape that uh, you can you can listen to and and hopefully. Uh, relate to all of the fun that we have had and note the sarcasm as we have been trapped and confined in lockdown yep and and you know home the whole concept of home there are a lot of different ways you can go about this and we'll talk a little bit more specifically how we made our choices but you know home obviously can be a literal space um, in a house an apartment a condo and a, a boat right it can be a literal space where you put your head each night or, or most of the time a majority of the time yes uh, home can also be a you know like a like a city or a region of the country that you feel most comfortable for, or maybe that maybe you were raised in a particular place and you live somewhere else and you enjoy that place maybe but you still consider where you grew up to be home and then we can talk about some of the more abstract ideas of home kind of being a place, a mental state, if you will, of where you feel most comfortable or where you want to be. Uh, similar to what you were thinking when you chose these songs? or Yeah, uh, fair, I mean, pretty, pretty spot on. Uh, I approach this um, from a few different perspectives. I, I have songs that long for home. I have songs uh, from the perspective of being trapped in the home. I have songs about people looking to leave home. And certainly I I have a few that just talk about what home means to them. I, I mean, as an abstract concept, as you were kind of hinting at there, home for, for many people is not the, the, the residents, but the people that, uh, live there with you. So, of course, um, you know, I, I kind of took all of that and then tried to, Make it as eclectic as possible, but all within the confines of, you know, all, all, all defining, to me anyway, what, what home really is all about. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of summed my choices up. Uh, it had to fall within four verbs. Uh, it had to be about loving, leaving, returning, or searching for home. It's a pretty effective list. And so every song that I chose, I thought, boy, does it fit one of those four categories? And if not, there were a few I left off that were, you know, could have fit the home category. And I loved the song, but it didn't quite fit one of those four. And so I kept them off. Yep. Uh, same here. So, all right. Well. Shall we begin? We shall. Let's and not delay further. It is your turn it's to go first. my turn. All right. So. I'm going to start with a with a kind of an unconventional choice, maybe. You know, I struggle sometimes when I make my list because I want to choose songs that, that a lot of people are aware of. I mean, we don't want to be snob podcast where we just choose these, you know, 
bizarre, strange artists that no one's ever heard of and tracks that no one's ever heard of. But we like to introduce people to new music, too. Absolutely. So I think there's a balance. Um, this is one from a band I think everybody knows, but it's a song maybe maybe a lot of people don't because it was not uh, a single, I don't believe. Um, it's from a band that never, ever became the, the biggest band in the world. But much like Kiss, in the late 70s, I think, launched a million bands. Okay. Uh, it was one of those bands, uh, well, you know, if, watch that 70s show. Their song was used as the theme. I think you see where I'm going with this. Uh, yes. It's from Rockford, Illinois. Rockford, <coughs> Illinois. Cheap Trick. Of course, I'm talking about Cheap Trick. Yep. And boy, what a band. I mean, huge Beatle lovers, Beatle influenced music. Um, of course, they had those uh, late 70s albums that became huge in Japan with Live at Budokan. And of course, I think they were more popular in Japan than America at first. And they just continued to roll, and, and they're, they're still around, and they continue to change. Yeah, well, uh, and I'll tell you what, their deep cuts, I think, far excel. They're, they're far superior to, to the singles. The only song I hear from them anymore on the radio is I Want You to Want Me. So it's, yeah. I'm, I, Which is a lot better than hearing The Flame well, on the yes, radio over and over that's again. That's right. That, that, that was the dark period the of dark Cheap ages. Tricks <laughs> uh, yes. catalog, in my opinion. But uh, I'm choosing something from, again, an album that some Cheap Trick fans wouldn't put at the top. Uh, I like it probably for nostalgic uh, purposes, but I, I think it's a solid record either way. Uh, it was produced by George Martin. It's their fifth album, and you can imagine as being Beatle fans. Oh, yes. Dream come true for that. Um, Just Got Back, which is the first track, uh, or actually second track, second track off of All Shook Up, on, uh, came out in 1980. Yep. And it was one of those albums that uh, I think I mentioned on the Father's Day podcast that my father um, would borrow some albums from the used... That makes it sound like he stole them. He didn't, with permission... <laughs> With permission, he took used uh, records that were returned, that were opened, and he uh, brought them back. And you know, we made recordings if we liked them, but they exposed us to a lot of music. And this is one specific album I remember I made a, a cassette copy of and listened to just constantly. Um, but just get back. So yeah, why did I choose it? I mean, if you know the song, you will know that the lyrics are. I mean, other than just got back, we know that the protagonist got back, and he's just so glad to be back home. The rest of the lyrics make absolutely yeah, no sense to me. Very nonsensical. And uh, and I still have to this day. I need to, if if you think you know what this song is about, uh, either you already know or after listening to it later on, please let me know. Because <laughs> even the Cheap Trick subreddit uh, wasn't able to 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 give me any shed any light on this particular topic. But it doesn't matter because Bunny Carlos's drum track. Oh. The cadence, the just it drives that track all the way through. It's a short little song, but it just drives that. And then Robin Sanders, just the vocal, vocal gymnastics throughout that song. So it doesn't matter that I have no idea what it's about. It's just a fun song. And you're a music first guy, so yes, totally. Um, yeah, that that drum beat it just drives that track. It, it's 
phenomenal. So, I, you know, again, we're not going to get into the sequence yet, but it's one that I would vote for to either start off like side A, might even be good for side B because we just got back. Yeah. You know, into the set. You had to turn the cassette over for the mixtape. Makes sense. Now we just got back with, with side two. So that's my first one, Just Got Back by Cheap Trick. No, it's a great choice. All right. Well, I am uh, coming forward in time. This is a more uh, contemporary number. Uh, my first song, the first on my list, is by Bruno Mars. I went with The Lazy Song. Um, it's from his 2010 debut studio album, Do Wops and Hooligans. And it's a reggae track. It features a really chill tempo of just 88 beats per minute. So, I mean, it's very, very low-key. And it's an ode, of course, to slothful behavior. <laughs> and for me, it always conjures an image of a young Al Bundy, I think, the way that the lyrics deliver. Well, now, I'll just stop real quick to say I do not recall. I mean, I know of the song. I know Bruno Mars. I know he, he likes to, I don't want to say imitate, uh, maybe imitate an homage to right. other genres and other artists. I know like he can sound like Michael Jackson. He's done doo-wop, like you mentioned, the album uh, right. is even titled that. So even some early rock and roll stuff. Well, what I really respect about him is that he he makes, um, he's very candid. I mean, he has uh, musicians and bands, especially those that he grew up with that he he loved so, so much that he's, he, he really does attempt to pay tribute to them. Um, uh, not too long ago, uh, for instance, he came out with Locked Out of Heaven, which was, if you listen to that, it is so police-inspired. Mm. And, and he said that, in fact, you know, growing up, Sting, the police, was was his favorite band. And, I mean, you, you can see it in, in the music. Yeah, listen, so. Yeah. But, but I, I, so I know, I know I've seen the song. In fact, I think there was a video. I think people are wearing, like, monkey yeah. costumes or masks <laughs> or something. But And so I'm sure when I hear the song, I'll know it. But I can't, off the top of my head, tell you. Okay, no, I sounds like. fairly certain you you will. It, it was everywhere. I, I know you don't listen to radio so much. I mean, we now have all the gadgetry and Sirius, and you know, um, but but nonetheless, I mean, it was it, it was everywhere w- uh, upon its release. Um, and Al Bundy, so that'll be interesting. Okay. Yeah, oh, it's definitely. I mean, the lyrics, um, for instance, uh, he says. I'm going to kick my feet up and stare at the fan, turn the TV on, throw my hand in my pants. Nobody's going to tell me That's I Al can't. Bundy. That is Al Bundy. That's Al Bundy there. I'll be lounging on the couch just chilling in my Snuggie, flip to MTV so they can teach me how to Dougie because in my castle I'm the freaking man. I mean, it, it, it's Al Bundy <laughs> from start to finish. Um, and it will forever be a favorite song for procrastinators and oh, it's an adage for those who lack any ambition. So it's... You know, for me, it, it made perfect sense for, for this week's theme because, you know, we, we have gotten to a point now, I think, where at home uh, we can do just about anything and, and we do just about anything because, you know, there's nothing to get dressed, nothing to get excited, nothing to leave the house for. So, um, yeah, it, it just made made sense to me. It was one of the first songs I, I wrote down and never faltered on the choice. Today I don't feel like doing anything. I just wanna lay in my bed Don't feel like picking up my phone So leave a message at the tone Cause today I swear I'm not doing anything uh, I'm gonna kick my feet up and stare at the fan Turn the TV on, throw my hand in my pants Nobody's gonna tell me I can't Nah, I'll be lounging on the couch just chilling in my snuggie so they can teach me how to Dougie Cause in my castle I'm the freaking 
would be my first choice. All right, excellent. So very eclectic already. Yes. A cheap trick to uh, Bruno Mars. Yes. I like it. That's what a mixtape is. Well, that, that is, ex- yeah, that's what we're shooting for. All right. So the the next one, I'm, I'm pretty positive it's going to be a match. I, you know, there, there are certain songs I didn't even include on my main list because I was convinced you would include them as well. I do that too. I, it's a bad habit. We probably should stop assuming. Well, but, I, I put them on my alternates list. So yeah. they're there in, just in case we... Uh, I will say that more often than not... We're, we're, I'm correct anyway. I'm assuming you probably are as well. We our taste in music is not that different, and we know each other too well. So right, but this one I'm, I'm guessing you probably have, but I had to put it on there because it's perfect, and that is "Our House" by Madness. Oh yes, it is a match, and you know, I mean, everyone I think in America at some point has heard this song even today, unless you're kind of a big fan though of the second wave of of ska, you probably don't know the rest of their catalog. Um, but they were, you know, kind of a ska, new wave slash punk influenced uh, band, uh, you know, out of England. And I think not only the song, but people like our age, Gen- Generation X, remember the video. Oh, absolutely. Because if I remember correctly, the band is kind of a grainy video, uh, you know, it was filmed, I think, in Camden Town. And um, they're wearing, I think, even some, like, they're a family. Some are dressed right. in drag as the mother and the sister. And, yep. and they're just basically singing about their house. And it's, uh, from what I remember, it's been, oh, it's been a while since I've seen the video, but I do believe that there was, there was a component, an element of slapstick there. Oh yeah. Um, it was all silly. Yeah. It was very um, silly. As is the song, you know. Uh, oh, absolutely. I, um, you know, I, I wonder how many of our audience really know what Scott is though. Um, it probably wouldn't hurt to, to elaborate on that. Um, first of all, they were, Madness was part of what was called the two-tone ska revival. Um, it, it. Uh, really came to prominence in the late 70s and early 80s. But ska, ska is a music genre. It, it, it reminds me in many ways of rock and roll in that it took many different uh, pieces and parts from, from a wide variety of genres and, and fused them together to create something new. Um, ska really, um, it makes use of uh, Caribbean mento, which is a style of Jamaican folk music that kind of infuses African rhythmic uh, elements, and and it features a lot of acoustic instruments. And then there's calypso, which is an Afro-Caribbean genre that originates from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, it too features rhythmic and harmonic vocals, and it it really it it combines joyful cadences with serious and often subtle social commentary uh, through praise, satire. Um, or lament and a lot of double entendres uh, in Calypso. People, I think, kind of when they hear Calypso and they gravitate toward Harry Belafonte, but his was a very pop-friendly version of Calypso. It wasn't Calypso in the in the traditional sense. Um, Calypso actually um, it usually was led by a by a griot, which was a local bard rooted in oral tradition, and then. You take the mento, you take the calypso, and then you fuse it uh, again with American jazz and rhythm and blues, and together, folks, that's that's what we call ska. Um, a lot and a lot of horns. Did you mention the horns? Did I miss that part? No, I had I'd not specifically. Because that's what I was going to ask. I'm, I'm not a, a ska scholar, so the, the horns obviously existed in the second wave. Yes, and even you could argue there was a third wave in, in the '90s with like the mighty mighty boss tones, a- exactly, which had a lot of horns as well. So to the, was first wave uh, ska also horn included, or is that something um, that was added later on? That would I think it was added um, later on. Uh, a lot of ska was. Um, 
I mean, that, there was there was definitely a rhythmic section um, and 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 some brass, but it, that wasn't I don't think one of the key features of it. It was more more acoustic, um, I think, in tr- in tradition. But um, you know, ska though it 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 was the precursor to rock steady. That's where you get into a lot of the horns, and then rock steady, of course, evolved into reggae. So there you have the evolution of of you know all the Caribbean roots and how it. Uh, kind of transformed and, and continued to uh, provide a very bah- Bahamian, uh, you know, sound for the islands. Um, in fact, you know, this is a good good opportunity. We, we have a listener uh, who is, um, and I don't know that he has uh, made any comments on, on Apple or, or iTunes, but he has definitely voiced his... his uh, preferences and suggestions for us on on facebook uh moki lomax is is his name um if i remember correctly he provided a lot of uh, suggestions for our beach for the beach mixtape which i think may fit some of what you were talking about oh absolutely um i wanted to give him a shout out for that reason um many of the songs he suggested for the beach mixtape were by mento and calypso performers um dating back to the 40s and the 50s during um you know the the caribbean uh, you know, movement as, as uh, Calypso began to really find uh, hold, began to take hold on, on the American pop charts. Um, his suggestions didn't make our episode, unfortunately, but uh, I do want to give him a shout out here because, you know, this this man knows his Caribbean traditions. I mean, it's he had some wonderful choices. Well, he probably made his choices after we had already recorded the show, so that I, I we should probably put out um, our themes ahead of time so people can, can weigh in. That or, would, I, may, I don't know. Then people think we're just stealing everyone else's well, ideas. That's true. Yeah, let's let's make sure we we get proper. But they're welcome here. after the fact to uh, tell us about all the songs that we forgot. Yeah, but now in the late seventies, British bands they began combining ska with punk rock and the heavy synthesized genre of new wave, and uh, Madness uh, was one of the very prominent, very prevalent bands of that two tone ska revival. Sighing in her sleep Brother's got a date to keep He can't hang around They had many hits across the pond But really the only The only song that ever charted Here in the States was Our House So, um, And I, I think you're right I think it, it largely succeeded in part to its music video yeah so. i mean so, so many bands in, in from europe especially when that, the second british invasion second wave um were successful because mtv needed content and a lot of the bigger bands refused to make videos because they felt like they didn't need to put in the time people already knew who they were and so these these brand new startup bands i mean basically if you had a halfway decent three and a half minutes to pop on mtv would would accept your tape and oh, so absolutely. lots and lots of bands discovered unless that you were african-american well, yeah. but we'll we'll talk about that another time yeah that's a, uh, that's a discussion Bi- yeah billy jean and breaking the color barrier there right uh, madness one quick note too though uh, I, you know 
I mentioned that I played my sand, the, our, my picks for sand and surf uh, to my my family on the way to get ice cream. When they're in the car, there isn't really many places for them to go, so they have to listen to the, <laughs> the music I force upon them. Well, uh, we just got back from vacation. We uh, we took a little jaunt out to the East Coast for a few days, and uh, so you know for seven and a half hours, <laughs> they were at the mercy of of uh, me having what my daughter calls the ox, which I guess is a term in her generation for like the auxiliary chord, like you're in control of the music. So she taught me that term. Anyway, I had the ox and uh, I played not only my playlist for this particular episode, but a few others. But when this song came on, they both immediately recognized it because I put it on their mix CD Mm -hmm. that I made for them when they were children, along with Rock Lobster and uh, what else? I think I put the sign from Ace of Bass on there, Yellow Submarine. And so it fits nicely with that. It's yes. just a fun song. It is. It is. Well, it's a great choice in our first match of the day. All right. All right. Well, um, okay, uh, moving on. My, my second pick, um, another contemporary song, uh, this one by Fifth Harmony, which is a, an R&B uh, girl group. Um, the name of the song is Work From Home. And uh, I thought it fitting because, as we've already mentioned, so many people have been working from home. Um, but the song is, it, 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 the title is a bit misleading. Uh, work here is a euphemism for sex, which, you know, has been true since the dawn of rock and roll music and, and the pop music uh, of the teenage culture. But uh, work from home, it's, it's pretty much Starlin vocal band's afternoon delight for the smartphone generation. I mean, it's... it's it's, uh, That's an interesting elevator pitch there. Well, Captain Delight for the cell phone generation. It, it's exactly hmm, what it, it is. Um, it, it's primarily an R&B track. It incorporates elements of trap music and, and tropical house beats with lyrics depicting work as, as, as I said, a euphemism for sex. And, um, you know, many music publications included it in their list of best songs of the year. Uh, when it what came year out. was this? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> okay, give me a decade because I'm oh, not familiar with this one either. In, within the last... Three years. Oh, then I definitely don't know this song. 17, 2018? I'd I'd have to double check. I have no clue. Um, But, no, the song, it debuted at number 12 on Billboard, and it it reached number four in its 13th week. It became became Fifth Harmony's, uh, well, it became their highest charting single in the U.S. It surpassed Worth It, which peaked at number 12. And this is notable. Work From Home also became the first top five single in the country by a girl group in 10 years. Um, it, it followed the September 2006 peak of Buttons by the Pussycat Dolls. Uh, I assumed it was Spice Girls. No, no. Um, Pussycat do- Dolls were the, the last girl group to, to crack uh, the top five prior to uh, Fifth Harmony's. So Fifth Harmony, so are there, are there five of them? There are five. I didn't know if it was ironic, like Ben Folds Five, who only had three members. No, no. Okay. I, now, they do, I don't know if she's been replaced, but one member has left the group, and that's... Um, Camilla Cabello, she, she's gone on to uh, a very, very uh, powerful, very, very highly regarded solo career. So I don't know that the band, I don't know that the group has replaced her. They might be fourth harmony now. <laughs> I'm not really sure. But the song was originally titled Work. Uh, they had to change the name. They added From Home because Rihanna uh, came out with a, a song titled Work just one month before work from home was released so but it, it's a fun song um they get an assist from california singer ty dollar sign who sings the third verse and it's just you know it, it's just a it's a fun song it has it's it has a 
it does have a, a bit of a sexy vibe to it. And, you know, again, just title alone, work from home to me, it, it made perfect sense to, to make the list. I worry about nothing. I am wearing a nada. I'm sitting pretty impatient, but I know you gotta put in them hours. I'ma make it harder. I'm sending pick up to picture. I'ma get you fired. I know you're always on that night shift, but I can't stand these nights alone. And I don't need no explanation. Cause baby, you're the boss at home. You don't gotta go to work, 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 but you gotta put it work. You don't gotta go to work, 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 work. Let my body do the work, 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 work. We can work tomorrow. Oh, oh. We can work tomorrow. Oh, oh. Well, thank you for making me feel like I've woken up from coma because that's how You're I feel well, when I'm, people talk uh, modern music. I'm going to go old school here for you all right. very soon. I promise. Okay, all right. That's all right. Good. No, this is good. I, I like being introduced to new music. There's a lot of good stuff out there. I just don't, well, now I shouldn't say I don't have the time in the day because I do have the time in the day, <laughs> but I'm just making my choices. And um, like you said, because we have satellite radio and Spotify and, of course, my own, um, you know, mixtapes <laughs> or CDs or what have you, uh, I don't spend a lot of time, you know, just listening to pop radio. Right. So. Well, I, I'm i a wedding DJ, so that, not that I've had much work this summer, all the gigs have been canceled, but, um, you know, just, just by the profession, just, you know, playing to the, to what the, the clients want to hear, it's, I've developed an ear for the newer music, and uh, sometimes, despite my best efforts as a 47-year-old white male, I, I find that I, I really enjoy a lot of the new pop music. Um, were I not a DJ, I probably would not know these songs either. So it's just that added event. Maybe if advantage. I let my kids actually have the aux once in a while in the car, that, I would that, know new music. That could yeah. be. <laughs> so, all right. all right, pick number three. All right, well, the next one, I, I noticed, you know, okay, so our playlist, we've had like four or five mixtape uh, playlists so far. And I've noticed because of the fact that the themes have been summer based for the most part. Yes. We've had a lot of the same artists pop up, the Beach Boys and, and Jimmy Buffett. You know, when you're talking about, well, of course, it's not going to end because we have sailing next week. Correct. Right. But it lends itself to a certain kind of artist. And I suppose as we choose different themes and the seasons change, other types of genres will be more prevalent as well. Oh, without question. Um, but as a lover of uh, alternative music from, from the 80s and the 90s specifically, uh, I realized I hadn't chosen a lot because there weren't songs that fit those particular uh, topics. Well, I, I pulled out an old favorite the other day, and I was listening in the car, and boy, this song came on. I said, boy, not only is this a great song that I haven't heard in years, but it's perfect for our home podcast, and that is from The Smithereens. Oh, okay. House That We Used to Live In. Which oh, great song, Green Thoughts. Off their second LP, Green Thoughts, in 1988, that's correct. And, uh, and Pat Denizio, unfortunately, has passed away. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. Um, they're still playing. Um, they'll have guest vocalists. Marshall Crunchaw's filled in for them. Uh, Robin Wilson from Gin Blossoms is filled in. So they're, they're still around. In fact, a lot of the recent stuff, because, um, you know, the Smith, if you, if you know your rock and roll, even though they're an alternative band, they're really rooted in that like early 60s, yeah. almost frat rock 
type vibe. Oh, very much. And so later on in their career, when they were no longer you know part of the zeitgeist, they still continued to make music, but they did a lot of um, covers where they kind of made them their own. In fact, they did uh, Meet the Smithereens, which were all Beatles covers. Yes, I remember that. And I believe um, Pat Denise, or what, that was no, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of uh, Matthew Sweet uh, and Susanna Hoff did oh, a lot of those. Yeah, as well. they they uh, they had. I think it's they have two volumes. It's called Under the Covers. Yes, yeah. And some some of their covers are fantastic. Yeah, but, but that's very similar to what it, the exactly. Smithereens uh, did later on. Um, but this one, you know, this is prime Smithereens uh, right after, especially for you, which is one of my top ten favorite albums of all time. And it, it's about well, it, I always thought, I always assumed, and again, we're all free to interpret the way. Um, that's what's great about art. That it was about a couple that is broken up. And the uh, protagonist of the song has come back and is basically driving by the house where they used to live. And he is thinking about the memories, or she, I guess it doesn't matter, um, thinking about the memories of that relationship and, and the times they had. And maybe there's a little bitterness uh, in the song, um, which is a fine interpretation. And Pat Denisio actually said in an interview that he welcomes that view of the song. But it was originally uh, about his parents' divorce. Really? Yeah, that he, um, you know, his parents were divorced when he was younger. Um, his dad owed a lot of money to the IRS and he had to sell the house. And so it was kind of his way of working through some of those issues, even as an adult. And so when you listen to the song from that light, too, you kind of hear it in a different way. You know, I, I'm playing the lyrics through my mind now, and that makes perfect sense. But I, I never, never knew that. This is the house we used to live in. This is the place I used to know. This is the house we used to live in. So, you know, we talk about home. I mean, you have, like, I chose Madness, which is kind of a fun, silly song about, about home. And, you know, I started off with Just Got Back, Returning Home. This is one of those, yeah, it's it's bittersweet because he has fond memories of home, but a lot of pain, too, with the family breaking up and having to, you know, sometimes we have to leave our home for, you know, we have no control over that. Sometimes, you know, jobs transfer. Yes. Uh, sometimes something leads us to a different, you know, what, there are a lot of reasons, but. When you're a child, you really have no control over that. And I was lucky enough to live in my same house until about high school. And I think your um, parents uh, still had their house, you know, yeah, until well, the very end. My parents bought their house in 69. And uh, we just, uh, as my dad's health declined here within the last year, we just sold it. So it, that's the only home I ever knew as a child. So, um, and well into my 40s, no less. So, yeah. yeah no, I, but you can imagine. I mean, think about seven-year-old you. You know, having to leave because that's your safe space. That's the place that you know. Right. And I know I've, I've talked to people, I mean, that moved as kids and you go to a new school and you meet new friends and sometimes you like that home better. I mean, homes can change, but that's a very, very kind of painful process. So I had to include that. So no, it's how we used to live in from the smithereens. Well, and, you know, learning that it's about his parents divorce. I always thought that 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 album side side 
A, it had that one-two punch of only a mem- only a only memory, memory. Yes, and, yeah. and house I used to live in. I I always assumed the two songs kind of came from the same memory. So now I don't know, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to only a memory and see if it's uh, if it if they're related or if only a memory is about you know a, a soured or, or bitter uh, breakup. And that's a band that you and I saw when we were in uh, at BG. We saw them in Toledo. Yes. A very small venue. It's very. It's a very small venue. It might have been a ballroom, like in a hotel room. Yeah. And uh, I believe we bootlegged it. We did. Yes. <laughs> or a mini tape recorder in our pocket. <laughs> this is before cell phones, folks. We had mini tape recorders, so we well, could bootleg shows. Isn't that that's Gen X? We yeah. we were we were recording on the cassette tape. So yeah. Um, no, it was a great concert. I and it, we were right. I it, when we say it was intimate, I mean we could go right up to and I mean, we, I remember if you wanted to, you could be what, a foot away from yeah, them as they were performing yeah. on, on stage? I mean, yeah. artists don't do that anymore, at least not, not uh, you know, bigger artists that have really charted. So, no, it was a fantastic concert. All right, what you got? All right, my next one. This one you've at least heard of, I promise that. It's by the Bare Naked Ladies. And it, Is it the Bare Naked Ladies or Bare Naked Ladies? I think it's just Bare Naked Ladies. Okay. It's like Indigo Girls or The Indigo Girls. Technically, it's just Indigo Girls, but everyone says The. Yeah. I think Bare Naked Ladies are the I, same. I, I think it's just Bare Naked Ladies. Okay, so I, it's by... I believe so. By Bare, bare Naked Ladies. Naked Ladies. Yes. Um, I chose Brian Wilson. And uh, the reason for this, uh, to me, <laughs> I, I, I started, uh, you know, when, when I wrote down the track, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, really, um, because originally I had In My Room by the Beach Boys... And then that got me thinking of Ryan Wilson, and then that that got me thinking of Bare Naked Ladies. So I scratched in my room. Oh, I I might have chosen that one. That's a great (laughs) song. I I, I went from In My Room to Ryan Wilson by Bare Naked Ladies. Um, Ryan Wilson, it was written by band member Stephen Page uh, as a tribute to the Beach Boys co-founder Brian Wilson. Um, You can find it on their debut album, Gordon. Um, the song generally, it, it tells the story of a man whose life parallels Brian Wilson. Uh, for those in the audience that may not know Wilson's history, um, he, there, were, there were a few years where uh, Wilson spent uh, time with his psychologist, Eugene Landy. Um, he was diagnosed with mental illness, and more broadly, um, he suffered from comorbid mental illness and obesity. He lived in his bed and did not leave his bedroom. I mean, it, it was... Really, a it was a dark period. In well, his yeah, life. and a lot of it, you know, he, creative. He and the Beatles were always competing. Yes, and I think you know he he was a genius. I think in the purest sense, and so you know he had things in his mind that he had a difficult time, oh. you know, putting down on onto the piano, and and also you know psychedelics. He was he experimented with oh, a lot yeah. of psychedelics, and Without so. Question. But but um, if you haven't seen, and I think you have the, the movie Love and Mercy with John Cusack. Oh, great movie! John Cusack plays an older Brian Wilson. I yes. don't remember the name of the actor that plays uh, the younger Brian Wilson, but he does an excellent job. But uh, Paul Giamatti plays the psychologist yep. that kind of has a hold on him. Yeah. Um, well, Brian Wilson, of course, I, he's gotten well. I mean, he's, he's you know, healthier state of mind, healthier, um, you know, in, healthy in body now. He's uh, touring. Um, in fact, I've seen him twice, once with you. Yep. Uh, once I had the pleasure of seeing him perform. He opened for Paul Simon um, when, I, when I went to see uh, him and uh, him in concert. Um, and I was really struck because when Wilson at that concert, um, opening for Paul Simon, he actually performed with his band, Brian Wilson, 
which kind of blew me away because I, I don't know why, I just always assumed he would have been offended by the song, but I, I looked more into it, you know, in, in preparing for today's show. And in fact, he was actually a huge fan of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and he rearranged and sang the song a cappella with his new band at, at many live performances. Well, and now I haven't heard the song in a while, but if I'm not mistaken, it's not really poking fun at him. No, no, it's, it's just not. comparing a creative difficulty yes. of the songwriter to the creative difficulty that Brian Wilson Correct. Uh, yeah. experienced. No, it's 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 in no uh, it's not meant to be demeaning. It's like that la- almost like the lazy song where you just you don't feel inspired to get out of bed. Yes, exactly. Um, well, the the story goes that Wilson visited the the, I must say it again. Wilson visited <laughs> bare naked ladies. Matter. It really doesn't. Uh, while they were recording Maroon, uh, to, and he he played his version of Brian Wilson for the band, uh, whereupon they then played him some of their work in progress. But at the end, when he was finished performing Brian Wilson his version of the song, he turned to um, to bare naked ladies and he asked them, "Is it cool?" And I guess they were so awestruck. They, That's they, a very Brian Wilson thing to say. Yeah, they, <laughs> it's cool. yeah. They, they were they were so in awe. They were so speech, you know, starstruck. They 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 couldn't even form the words because they they you know felt that it was you know the the entire experience was so surreal. But the best part of the story, upon Wilson's departure, as he was leaving the band after playing his version of the song for them, he turned to them and, and his advice to them was, "Don't eat too much." So, um, well, that's a good. you know, I, knowing what the song is about and knowing about Wilson's history, it's, it's probably the, the perfect parting words. Lying in bed, like Brian Wilson did. Well, I lying in bed just like Brian Wilson did. Brian Wilson, that's pick number three. And, and we're going to have an uh, uh, artist face-off because oh. I have a Bare Naked Ladies song coming uh, up on my list. You know, I... I so I'll, we'll I'll, to, I'll, keep, I'll keep quiet for the moment, but I bet I know what song we'll it's going to be. We'll have to we'll, we'll figure see. that one out. So. We'll see. All right. All right. So back to me. Uh, boy, this is the most obvious song that I could have chosen. Um, I almost left it off because I thought, man, what, it's kind of a cliche. It's, it's really... Uh, overplayed. It was used in a, in a sausage meat commercial from Petra. Uh, is it Petra Farms? Pepperidge. Pepperidge. Pepperidge, Pepperidge Farms. Farms. Uh, good thing we have a pop filter on our <laughs> microphone there. Pepperidge Farms. Um, it's of course the the Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young classic, Our House. Yes. It's probably been used on real estate commercials, everything. But <sighs> when you said home, when you suggested that as as a mixtape, I thought. That, I mean, it's the first thing that came to my mind, and it's such a warm, it's such a just sentimental, like I say, I know it's a cliche, right? but I've loved it so much, and, and despite all the misuse of the song, I still continue to love it, and I had to, I had to leave it on. Well, and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Graham Nash, he, he had just, 
basically he had just resigned from the Hollies. The Hollies had just disbanded and he wasn't he he was living with Joni Mitchell. Yep, yep. At the he time. and he and Joni Mitchell were together and they were living together. Right. They were like the power couple and I, I know she was his muse for the song. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I don't know much more uh, about their relationship or how the song came. To well, they, they were they were actually shopping for antiques, and so there's a, there's a line in the song that's very identifiable. But uh, the line goes, uh, "I'll light the fire while you place the flowers in the vase, or we'd say vase in the Midwest, right? Uh, that you bought today." And it seems like such a kind of a wordy line, but that's the actual line that uh, that he's that they were at an antique store. She bought this vase. They got home and he literally said, I'll light the fire, you put the flowers in. Really? So. Yeah, and, and so after saying that line, he was very self-aware and he said, oh, wow, that sounds like an interesting um, song lyric. And so he sat down at the piano and he basically wrote this song. Our house is a very, very, very fine house With two cats in the yard Life used to be so hard Now everything is easy because of you Flowers in the vase that you bought today. To me, even though it's cliche, it, it, it's the best representation of the ideal home. Okay, it's it's the home, and and, and not ideal for everybody because some people they don't want that kind of quiet. You know, they they people like to live in the big city and they like activity. They want to be able to go, you know, to a, a busy restaurant or or see people, you know, within a couple feet of where they live. Um, but a lot of people want to be able to drive to those places, but then they want the place where they right. reside to be quiet and to be peaceful and well, restful. Absolutely, yeah. Our house. I mean, it's the rustic. It's the quaint. I mean, it's it's very. There's two cats in the yard, and yeah. there's, there's the garden, and there are all those. You know, light the fire. So there's all those really home, homey, cliche type, country living. It's like another song I didn't include on here, um, but Elton John's "Country Comfort." Yes, is very similar. Yeah, uh, lyrically, and so I didn't. I, there wasn't room for both of them, so I went with the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young one because I figured it was more recognizable, and then a lot of the listeners would expect this on a home playlist. Oh, without without question, it is actually when we talk about making assumptions, it is it is a song I did not include because I was near certain that that it would be on your list. Yep. So that one paid off and. There, there you go. Our house. Okay. Um, no, great choice. And certainly on my radar, but yeah, I, I just decided to let you have it. <laughs> so, um, all right, my, my turn? Yep. All right. Uh, song number four. Uh, if you remember the, the Sand and Surf episode, um, I, I chose Kokomo by the Beach Boys. Yes, you did. And I said at the time I felt like a bit of a cheat because it's, in my mind it's not really a Beach Boys song. Um, well, in much the same way, I've chosen a song uh, here by uh, the boss, but it is not. It, it is Sands of the East Street Okay, Band. so so we all right. So you brought the uncles back into this again. I did. Yeah. Just when we promised we. And by the way, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, we refer to uh, several artists as our uncles, mainly Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, Jimmy Buffett, and then Paul Simon's kind of a yeah, he's kind, he's, kind of a cousin. He's a, he's, <laughs> you know? he's a distant, yeah, distant uh, relative. Simply because we grew up, you know, listening to them. They're about our our, our parents' ages, and you know, of course, their music is prone to have a lot of 
worldly experience and advice and it's very cinematic and yes. it, all that's catnip for you know for young people uh, right. and generations even though they're not generation x uh, artists per se they were artists that continued to make music to generation x and for generation x and um you know we've been using them pretty heavily so far so i did what i could to try to keep them on my at least my alternates list but It'll be interesting to see what you chose because I have one on mine too. Oh, do you? Five okay. Years. Well, I went for that early '90s period where he, where he was without the E Street Band. Uh, it's not my favorite, you know, stage. Oh, so that's stage that's of his why you connected to Cobra. right? Okay, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I, for me, Bruce is always. I mean, he he's at his best without question when he has the the full force of the E Street Band behind him. Um, but I, I thought it was time. I, I actually have not included a, a Springsteen song on any of my lists since our first episode with Thunder Road. Um, but this time, I, I just, I, I don't know. It just, I had to. I was compelled to include this song. Well, um, I can see there are a lot of some. Because he came out with Human Touch and Lucky Town at the same time. Right. I want to say in like 91, 92, around that area. Yeah, I... I Probably ninety two. I, I feel like we were sophomores in college. Okay. So and and he he left. You know he took a break from E three band and there were some hurt feelings there. But he wanted to kind of artistically explore other avenues. Yes. And like you say, a lot of people would argue that it wasn't his best work. And and you know, even though there's a primary songwriter, anytime you have a band that that knows one another and they help with the arrangements and and they add all sorts of flourishes and, and their own touches, that it does make a difference. Oh, yes. Um, to the music, and I, I I've always wanted to hear a lot of these songs you know, reimagined with the East Street Band. Oh, I'd love to. Would have been incredible. But the, the, these were songs that were very, I mean, because Springsteen at this point now, this is, you know, past Tunnel of Love where he was starting to settle down. Mm-hmm. He has a family now. And so a lot of these songs were about kind of getting to that dad rock area. Uh, very domesticated, <laughs> And yes. so I can see a lot of these being at home. I'm interested to see what you chose. All right. Well, I went 57 channels and nothing on. Which, which is the, the least domestic yes. home song you could have picked. <laughs> uh, yeah, it channels the ghost of Elvis, uh, no less. I, I um, You know, most Bruce fans, I think, dismiss the song as a throwaway narrative of just love gone wrong. Um, but the track, for me, it serves as the perfect soundtrack for the, the long months of quarantine that we've, we've Going stir-crazy. Yes. Um, you know, Bruce's imagery, I, I think it's compelling. It, it You know, th- this idea of pointing a satellite dish at the stars when firing up his idiot box to, you know, points to humanity's constant search for meaning in this life, really, um, as well as our fruitless efforts to try and find it through consumer gadgetry. I mean, that's this huge part, you know, the zombie generation. And people say I read too much into music. Oh, come on. No. <laughs> you do. But no. so do I. So do I. Um, no, I think it's a criminally underrated gem from, from the Springsteen catalog, and it's one that even Springsteen uh, considers a misfire. He, uh, in September of 2014, he posted on Facebook himself, um, and I'll quote it here, quote, I have no idea what we were aiming for in this one outside of some vague sense of hipness and an attempt at irony. Never my strong suit. It reads now to me as a break from our usual approach and kind of a place, playful misfire was, was what uh, Springsteen said on social media regarding the song. But I don't know. It, it's driven by... You know, his moody vocals, it has that hypnotic bass line. And the song's heart uh, is, you know, it's the the bourgeois social climber. He uh, recently acquires a home in the Hollywood Hills, who settles in with his honey for a relaxing night of cable TV, um, which in 1992 was the equivalent of Netflix and chill, right? And, you know, they, they turn on uh, the, the television only to discover, as you probably guessed, there were 57 channels and nothing on. 
bought a bourgeois house in the Hollywood Hills with a trunk load of hundred thousand dollar bills. Man came by to hook up my cable TV. We settled in for the night, my baby and me. We switched round and round till half past dawn. There was 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. 57 channels and nothing on. Well now, home entertainment was my baby's wish, so I hopped into town for a satellite dish. I tied it to the top of my Japanese car. I came home when I pointed it out into the stars. A message came back from the great beyond. Which, by the way, folks, back then, that was a lot of channels. It was. Because we Gen Xers, most of us were raised with, like, the three networks and maybe, like, a syndicated local channel, two if you were lucky. Um, and, and cable, I had friends that had cable. I get, had cable a lot later. But even the early cable, I mean, you had 14, 15 channels. Right. And it wasn't until the cable box came out, that little computer box that expanded and, and then, of course, satellite dishes, of course. Now, 57 seems like such oh, a quaint number. Yeah, right? it's, it's, I, we have probably 10 times that. Well, yeah, I mean I, I mean, I cut the cord uh, recently, but right, I, I did before too. that, I had 400 channels with nothing on. Yeah. <laughs> now, we, we cut the cord as well, but it seems now we have every streaming service imaginable. It's still cheaper than cable, but it's, you know, still, it, it's about the mood that you're in. You right. Know? There, there are times with Netflix and Hulu and Roku and HBO go and, and Amazon prime. And I, you know, I'm trying to find something to watch and there's literally nothing on, which it, there's plenty on. It's just, paralysis of choice. I think I've yeah. talked about this before. I mean, it, sometimes it was better when you had three channels because you just kind of were forced to watch what was on and it ended up being something you really enjoyed. Exactly. When you have every choice in the, in the universe, it's, it's difficult. So it feels like there's nothing there. Yeah. So, you know, the song continues and the, the boredom of the, the star lovers then experience, um, you know, the boredom that they experience, it then transcends and, and it becomes a metaphor for the empty husk of their relationship. And, you know, it collapses in that abrupt note saying, bye bye, John, or our love is 57 channels and nothing on. And then in the song Springsteen, as I said, he, he channels the ghost of Elvis and shoots his, his television. Then he's taken to court and for his defense uh, before the judge, he says once more, there were 57 channels and nothing on. I, I just, I think... If we're talking about home, uh, you know, during during lockdown, the song just, to me, it speaks volumes. All right. My turn. Your turn. Okay. So I'm going to go with, uh, we mentioned the different categories, and this is a category that kind of fits into the um, home being more of a state of mind oh. and not being a physical place. But it also okay. has a literal interpretation of being a physical place. Um, actually, I mentioned earlier that, especially for you from the Smithereens, is one of my top 10, probably top 10 favorite albums of all time. Um, this one is definitely, if not, you know, top 15, top 10 as well. Uh, from 1980, uh, actually 79, 79, and it's a band called Super Tramp, which I'm sure you're familiar with. We have our... Uh, hey, I, I, there we I, go. I believe we have our second match. Yes, Did Super you Tramp. go... Take the long way home? I did. <laughs> Take right. the long way home. Second match of the day. Yes. Breakfast in America was the LP, and it was uh, one of the super, it was really one of the first super LPs of, of the uh, late 70s, early 80s that just produced an enormous amount of singles. Probably the first one 
Um, maybe there was before, but 76, uh, I believe it was Rumors from Fleetwood Mac was one that had just yes. a plethora of singles. And that went all the way through into the 80s, into the, to the mid-80s. And this one, I mean, the cover is iconic. If you haven't seen the cover of Breakfast in America by Super and Tramp, I won't describe it. You just got to see it. It's incredible. Um, the songs are just, you know, they have a pop sensibility about them, but they're also have a progressive feel. They're not progressive rock in the sense that they have these 15 minute, you know, opuses. Right. Or opi. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but, 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 but they just, there's something about Super Tramp that feels like a pop progressive band. Yeah, well, and they were rooted in in the in prog rock. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I mean, they they didn't have the the twenty minute overtures, but right. but yeah, they certainly were experimental, and they they you know they brought a lot of orchestration to their yeah, to yeah. their pop musically very eclectic songs. And so. so and so in this song, you have the protagonist who's you know driving home, I think presumably from work or from somewhere. He's going home to his physical house, and he's taking the long way because he would just rather not be there. And he just feels like he doesn't belong. His wife belittles him. He doesn't, I don't know, not to, not to say he's a nagging wife, because we don't know the true story, but he feels like he does. Yes. He feels like he has a nagging wife who's always on his case. And so while he's driving home, he's imagining the life that he thinks he should have had or could have had, maybe had he made different choices or had, you know, his mind, life treated him differently. And so it's that idea of it kind of fits both the theme in two different ways. And in one, he's dreading uh, going back to his physical home, but he's also imagining the home that he wishes he had, a different lifestyle, perhaps being a famous movie star or some other, you know, being some in some other place, not driving home to his wife. So Yeah, well, and the lyrics. I mean, there there's so much to try and uh, you know unravel there. Um, I mean, to me, I, I, every time I think that I have the song figured out, I you know another lyric kind of uh, makes me second guess myself. Um, I mean, for starters, I've, I've always interpreted the song to be about a guy who thinks he's really cool, right? Um, you, you have that line, so you think you're a Romeo playing a part in a picture show. But it seems that he's the only one who thinks that he's cool. Um, you know, the, the implication is that, you know, he avoids going home because when he's on the road, he has just a few more moments of being alone with his dreams. Um, because once he gets home, you know, there are times that he feels he's part of the scenery, all the greenery is coming down. He's the joke of the neighborhood to which he rationalizes, why should you care if you're feeling good? His wife treats him like part of the furniture, and in real life, we're told he never sees what he wants to see. It, it's, yeah, it's it's 
not a particularly cheerful song. It's kind of a midlife crisis it, song. It, that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I, this is the English teacher in me, but the song always reminds me of the short story, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. James Thurber. James Thurber. Ohio. Um, yeah. I, in fact, I've used it in my classroom. I've actually had, I've, I've paired the two and had my students listen to the song and try and, you know, uh, compare the two. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, folks, it, it's The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. It tells the tale of, of Walter Mitty. He's an older man uh, who seems largely inept. He, he's often lost. He can't do simple things. He's forgetful. And people always seem to be either yelling or laughing at him for one blunder after another, especially his wife, Mrs. Mitty. Um, you know, she scolds and nags and berates him. Um, and to compensate for his failings in life and to escape the wife who doesn't seem to appreciate him, he creates an entire secret life for himself, um, a series of fantasies in which he's a powerful decisive man respected by everyone around him i think it mirrors the song beautifully um and, and, and again it's midlife crisis that's exactly what it is and there was a film version uh with ben stiller, ben stiller and, and Chris, kristen, kristen wig yes um, which kind of took the premise but then took it a completely different direction right no they, they extended where he ends uh, up traveling to yeah. nepal or something it's a fantastic movie though I, it's you know it's very loosely uh, based on the story, which the story is all of five pages long, but no, I thought the movie was wonderful. Yeah, all right, no, that's uh, that's when we had a match. So when we get right. it to on, on, when you get to it on your list, you'll have to pick another song. T- two, right. actually, I have to. I have our house coming oh, up as yeah, well. That's so, right. All right. Uh, okay. Well, um, not there yet. They're both later in my list. But um, number five, I chose "Blind Faith." Can't find my way home. Good song. I, oh, it's, I considered that one for a little did, bit. Did yeah, you? Yeah. While, yeah. Um, you know, I, Traffic and Cream, they both had just disbanded, and you have Steve Winwood and Eric Clapton joining forces. Um, Clapton brings along ex-Cream drummer Ginger Baker. They also had uh, Rick Retch, I think. Um, his, the band that he had come from was very obscure. I think it was Family was the name of the band. But they, they were a blues-oriented, uh, you know, Group and and some people consider them to be the first rock and roll super group. Actually, would that be before Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young? Because I would think they, oh, yeah. they predate. It would have been. Well, it was sixty nine. About the same time. About so, the same time. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, I, basically, Blind Faith. They only had the one album. I mean, their legacy amounted to just the one studio album, and the strength of its songs and performances, though, have made it a lasting favorite for for classic rock fans. Um, you know. Particularly, can't find my way home. To me, it's it's just a beautiful song. I mean, it's 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 a plaintive ballad, and it finds Winwood's uh, voice floating. I mean, uh, really, just floating above Clapton's intricate but very gentle acoustic guitar work. Um, I think one of the best studio performances of Clapton's long career. Actually, he had um, just you know finished with with Cream, and I think he was um, you know looking to to give the, the fiery, intense guitar solos uh, a rest and, um, yeah, the acoustic. I mean, it was it was just gorgeous and, and still is today. Thank you. 
the song itself, though, I there's so many fans that have speculated, uh, you know, what the true meaning behind the lyrics of the song really, really means. I always so just many assumed it was about a drunk guy that couldn't get home. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, some people have said that it's about a soured relationship. Uh, some people have said that it's a soldier's lament. For me, it was always a, a cry for help from someone who was riddled with, with drug abuse, uh, addiction. Um, but, but no matter, you know, what the lyrics intend to be, I mean, the band crafted one of the best songs of the late sixties. It's just a, it's a gorgeous song. Yeah. Clapton, a lot of people, you know, who aren't as familiar maybe with some of the classic rock period, uh, don't realize how influential Eric Clapton was oh. and how many different bands he, you know, and there were a lot of those little projects people would get together, super groups, like you mentioned. Right. And if you ever get an opportunity to come across, it's probably on Spotify, the, the Crossroads box set that came out in the late oh, 80s, yes. uh, which kind of chronicles, you know, Eric Clapton from, I believe, the Yardbirds and yep. all the way through probably eight or nine different bands that he right. participated in all the way up. Not quite two, but oh, well, I should say getting into the adult contemporary Eric Clapton. Yes. Um, at the end, there was a line there. What was the album that came out that had... Um, Old Love and Oh, bad, uh, bad Journeyman. Love. Journeyman, which I enjoyed very much, but that was like the start of his adult contemporary. I think so. I, it, it wasn't. Me, it was on the good it was, side of the it line. Was, it was blues. There was based. a lot of bluesy. It was very. It was on the good side of the line, but you could okay. see where it was headed, if that makes yeah, sense. Possibly. Um, now, we'll, we'll argue this another. I mean, because if you listen to his double <laughs> album, uh, the live album, 24 Nights. 24 Nights, yes. Live, I love those tracks. I yeah. think it was the production of Journeyman that made me feel it was a little dull contemporary. It's overproduced. The songs themselves played live were, yeah. were excellent. But I mean, especially when I think of Running on Faith, which oh, yeah, to, which no, to me was yeah. the it was the centerpiece of, of Journeyman. Um, but no, I, yeah. And well, you know, speaking of, of super groups, I mean, just the Yardbirds. Yeah. And you had Jimmy Page, you had Eric Clapton, you had Jeff Beck. I mean, I don't think. Well, they later became, at the time, they right. weren't a super group. Right. Exactly. But, yeah, but, but, the, but, uh, the yeah, breeding I mean, ground for great things. Yeah. I was, wow. Just, ooh, the stories they could tell. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and the stories I have told. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm a sure. Of, a lot of good books written about those years. All right. Your turn, sir. Okay. So my next one is another one of those songs that kind of popped in my head as soon as you mentioned Home. And it's another song I know, like we said, we're going to feature certain artists whatever reason lend themselves to, to certain uh, topics. And, and when there are favorites, they have a tendency to, to, you know, come to the top of the brain. Sure. And so I, I've made it no secret that Indigo Girls is one of my favorite all-time bands. And last week, um, you know, we talked about Three County Highway, which was an Amy Ray song. Um, her songs, you know, she comes from more of the, the punk tradition. You know, her songs are maybe a little rough around the edges, whereas uh, Emily Saylor's, uh, the second half of, um, of Indigo Girls, is the balladeer. And she's, you know, the poet and the softer side. And I don't mean to pigeonhole them because Amy Ray has done plenty of ballads and, and Emily has written songs that are harder. But that's just kind of, if you're going to stereotype Indigo Girls, that's how you stereotype them. And they, they do write separately, but then they come together and then they arrange songs together and arrange harmonies and so forth. And so the song I'm going to pick now is a lot different than the Three County Highway. And even though Three County Highway was, was, was slow and was a ballad, you can still kind of hear a difference. And that's what makes the Indigo Girls so great is because they're the yin and the yang. They're so very opposite from their musical traditions, and yet they work so well together and oh, they yeah. complement each other. Uh, the one I'm going to talk about today is uh, Come On Home. Oh, okay. I mentioned, uh, I think, an episode a few ago uh, that if you – the last time you heard Indigo Girls was Rites of Passage or, or Swamp Ophelia back in, in the 90s, 
you know, I think they've continued to get better, to get stronger as songwriters and as performers. And I suggested the album All That We Let In um, as a starting point if you wanted to re-identify yourself with, with their later catalog. Song, or the album came out in 2004, and the song Come On Home is probably... I th- Ghost was my favorite from, from Rites of Passage for a long time. I think Come On Home is now past that. Okay, and it's also my wife's favorite Indigo Girl song. So I mean, I had to put it on the list. No, and you know, poetically, lyrically, and this is one band that I do pay attention to lyrics as much as I pay attention to the music. I I don't even want to. I thought about taking passages out and reading some of the lyrics, and it's tough with song lyrics anyway because it sounds like really bad poetry. It does (laughs) when 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 it's not. No, and I'm guilty. I I read them. I think it's good when we want to point something out. Sure, especially if we're talking about the meaning of the song. This is one that I just couldn't select a line because it all works together. And it's really the way I see the song is about a relationship that's broken up. That one partner in the relationship has gone on uh, to, in their mind, bigger and better things. And the person that was left behind is is basically saying, "Hey, I I I know you're out there, and I know you're not happy, and you know everything you really want is here. You know, come on home. This this is the place that you know I've been there for you, and I will continue to be there for you, and I'll forgive whatever transgressions because this is where you belong." We belong together. Dark clouds are coming in Like an army Soon the sky will open up And disarm me You will go Just like you've gone before One sad soldier off to war With enemies that only you can see The dishes stand beautiful song um i'm gonna i'm not gonna hype it up anymore because you hype things up too much and then people are like what that wasn't that great but just do yourself a favor and sit back it's it's a cool vibe listen to the song definitely fits on our playlist yeah well and if you ever get a chance you you really want to see the indigo girls live in concert i i've i've only seen them the one time um but it was and it was early 90s it was uh, i think the swamp ophelia show that probably yeah that probably that sounds about right um in fact i remember it was i saw them on the nautica stage in cleveland uh it was the same night that the eagles were were playing uh the hell freezes over tour yeah it was the hell freezes over tour they they were playing the gun i'm pretty sure it was the gundarina at the time um and you know i oh i was conflicted i mean the eagles are this huge phenomenon you know they they defined 70s rock in so so many ways um and i was really conflicted which concert do i go to um i I chose the indigo girls you chose wisely over the eagles (laughs) and i did and i don't regret the decision they were they they, they were extraordinary live in concert but I also think back now and you know I lost my chance to ever see the Eagles Fry is gone you know um, 
and I'm not one to, to see in concert a, a band. That's no, that would have been a cool show. No, no longer, you know, the complete, yeah. uh, you know, complete ensemble. But no, they they put on. Oh, it, it was just amazing seeing them live, and I, I've never seen them since. But you, I, I don't remember where you were because I remember asking. Yeah, you I think I was out of town. I, yeah, I definitely would have. Yeah, either you, of the shows I would yeah, have attended. You, right. And as much as a fan of it was at the time of them, and I was, uh, my fandom has grown since then. So I'm not even sure at the time if I would have picked the Eagles or Indigo Girls, which just sounds right. like heresy to me. Uh, I actually saw them. It's one of those situations where I saw them from the very beginning. Uh, they opened up for REM on the Green Tour which is about 1988, 89. So I saw them. This was actually before, you mentioned Gundarina. Right. Which, by the way, as a quick aside, we were at the very first show. We, yes, we were. At Gundarina. It was Billy Joel's, um, was it Stormfront or is it River Dreams? River, River Dreams. Dreams. Sure. Yeah, and we were interviewed by the, um, by. <laughs> by the local media. Like local media. Fox and, and 8 or something. Yeah, they, was it. They transposed our names. Right, yeah. I, I don't remember who they actually, if they showed me and said I was you or if they showed you and said, I, I don't know. We, we got it a lot was, out yes. of it. However, it, Somehow, it, one yeah. of us, at least our name, if not our, <laughs> right. our likeness, uh, appeared on, on the local news. But yeah, right. I remember that was the first show. In fact, Billy Joel talked about deflowering. Right, <laughs> the yes. new building. But anyway, so um, I saw the the REM tour at the old uh, Coliseum in Richfield, Richfield before they opened up the venue in, in downtown Cleveland, and I remember turning to the person that I was with and saying, "You know, um, we don't really know who this is, but there, there's something special going on here." I remember because a lot of times you talk through the opening band, especially if they don't seem to to you know, and I there was just something there. I mean, it was just two women on stage with with guitars, but I said, "I think we should pay attention because I think." This is going to be big. And, and someday, like now, I'm going to tell the story that I was there and got to see them from the very beginning. Not very beginning. You'd have to go back to Athens, right. to, the, to, the, to the clubs there. But for their, at least their first you know, big uh, supporting act as a, as a supporting act on tour. So right. come on home by Indigo Girls. Very cool. All right. Uh, well, my, my sixth pick is uh, I, I chose Home and. I, that's the title. Doesn't get any more clear cut than that. Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Um, now, which this band is just—it's <laughs> an interesting ensemble to, to that's, try. That's, and a, that's a more recent. It is. I, yeah. I, the name is very familiar to me, so I probably again have heard this. That's not a name that you forget. No. But no. I bet you I've heard the song. Yeah. Oh, I guarantee you have. Um, it. Uh, well, first of all. The the band Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros it's fronted by lead singer Alex Ebert. Uh, there is no Edward Sharp. Edward Sharp doesn't exist. Um, Ebert was actually uh, when in his youth he was a writer and he wrote a short story um, about a messianic figure named Edward Sharp. Um, never I'm not familiar with the story, but I, I know the story of it. And uh, basically, he drew. Um, you know, from that that idea, from that character, and, and named the band Edward Sharp uh, and the Magnetic Zeros. The, the band itself, though, they, they draw from roots rock and folk and gospel and psychedelic music, and the image and the sound of the band really evoked the entire hippie movement of, of the, the 1960s and the 1970s. Kind of a throwback sound? Very, okay. very much so. Um, he, he Ebert met singer Jade Castrinos uh, in L.A., um, and the two began writing music together, and then they soon became part of the art and music collective, The Masses, which was partially started by some seed money from actor Heath Ledger, hmm. actually. He, he invested in them. And then their fledgling group eventually swelled to more than 10 members, and they renamed themselves Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Um, home is, 
arguably their best known single. It, it comes from their debut album, Up From Below. And uh, the song, it's, it's an endearing duet between Ebert and Castrinos. It, it feels very freewheeling and spontaneous. Uh, it, it's an ode to the bonds we all share with people we love. Was um, it used in a film or something? I, I feel like I, 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 I heard a song, probably this one. I feel like I looked it up because that's where the name comes from. But I can't remember. Anyway, I... I don't know if it's been used in a, a film okay. or, or not. I would have heard somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, I, basically the two of them are, you know, they're, what, what's really interesting about their dynamic and Castrino's has since left the band. She's, she's pursued a solo career and she's actually been recording with Jacob Dylan. Oh, um, yeah. but she, the, the two of them, I mean, their, their vocals don't harmonize in, in a, you know, a soothing, you know, it, it's, it's more rough. It, it's, it's, genuine it's authentic um and as i said it, it sounds spontaneous i mean it, it's easy to interpret the line um you know home is wherever i'm with you which which is kind of the whole you know premise the, the theme of the song um you know you can interpret it as a syrupy sweet lover's vow but I, to me it also serves especially with that whole hippie the the communal you know imagery that they they convey it, it it kind of serves as a testament to how young people create the families they want from the friends that they have which has always been you know dating back to the 60s so central to american youth culture and and how rock and roll plays a part in it um and and the song not since billy joel's the stranger his whistling um has the song so relied on whistling um they're over i believe in total the song has over Three minutes of whistling. confident you've heard it but it, it's just it's a fun song and it, it really is it's it's I, I don't know how better to describe it. it's just endearing genuine very very you know it's it's a throwback it's it's just a wonderful tune it reminds me of 60s counterculture all the way cool so. all right looking forward to hearing that one too i'm learning a lot of new music today all right so my my turn here okay so here's a song that a lot of people might not no, um, but I had to pull it out. Again, it was one of those. It's a song that before we ever thought of this podcast, I remember thinking, boy, this would be good. I don't know what I th- I don't know where I thought it would be. <laughs> I just I, it stuck out to me again, not being a lyrics person. It stuck out to me. And I'm just glad that, you know, you chose this theme because it's perfect. Okay. Um, it, it's from a band that some people have called the, the American uh, Radiohead. Oh, Wilco. 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 It is by Wilco. Okay. And of course, you know, Wilco kind of came from from the un- Uncle uh, Tupelo days of the alt country uh, movement, I guess you'd, you'd say, um, out of Chicago. And and then, you know, Jeff Tweedy moved his own way and, you know, formed Wilco. And 
they kind of moved away from a lot of that alt country and they got into some really experimental alternative stuff. You know, and a lot of people are familiar with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, which is just an right. incredible record. Uh, but it's very abstract. And in some ways, it's all over the place in a good way. Um, but then, you know, 2000, I believe this, yeah, 2007, now Jeff Tweedy has moved on musically and he has a family and he, in my mind, recorded, they recorded one of their strongest albums, although it's been accused by some people being dad rock. Again, there's that term, yeah. dad rock, which I used to always take offense, meaning, oh, like that's the lame music your dad listens to. Uh, or like, you know, that's just, just, it's too cheese ball for, it's, it's no longer hip. Look at all those unhip yeah. words I'm using. It's just, it's, it's, to me, it's just condescending. It's, it's just domestication. Yeah. You know, but, but, but if, but if it, if, if it refers more to the fact that these artists who we listen to, you know, grow up and grow into, to men and women and then move to different phases of their lives. And if you're talking about like with Springsteen, we mentioned, you know, albums that refer to family and being domestic and kind of getting out of the limelight so you can focus on raising that family. Right. If songs about those types of, of topics are dad rock, then I'm okay with that. Oh. Because to me, it's, it may not have the same edge or the same hunger that some of the early music from artists uh, have, but it still has something to say. Well, you know, it would, that in itself would make an interesting mixtape. Yes. Dad Rock. That would be, you know, that would be good. Kick it off with Watching the Wheels by Lennon yeah. and just kind of go from there. So, yeah, yeah there's something to be said for it. I, I, I've always felt that it's kind of a, I don't know, it, it gets a bad rap, but, I guess. But, check, but anyways, check out Sky Blue Sky. That, the, and the song that I'm referring to is, is called Hate It Here. Okay. And it is, um, it's a, a very literal song about somebody basically doing household chores, which yes. sounds like the least Wilco thing ever. Uh, I love the line, I've, I've learned how the washing machine works, yes. or something some to that effect. Well, yeah. yeah, he's folded so many shirts, he's run out of shirts to right, fold. yeah. And it, to me, I, I always saw it, of course, reading too much into it, as being somewhat of a metaphor, and that um, you know his, his loved one has moved on, um, and I'm guessing because he just doesn't have his crap together. I'm just I'm just guessing here. And so by him taking responsibility for things around the house, by neatening up the house and folding the laundry and cleaning, in the hopes that someday she may return, he can prove to her that look, I have look, look, I'm I'm doing household chores now. I'm not a slob anymore. Right. Uh, please take me back type of, of vibe. Even though there there isn't hope in the sense that the refrain is you know, even though I know you're never coming back. It's also kind of hopeful if that's true, if he really doesn't believe she's ever coming back, then he's doing it because he really wants to change as a person, not just as a way to get her back. So I think there are a lot of layers there. Doesn't change anything 
Now, Jeff Tweedy <laughs> negates all of that when he says it's 100% literal uh, and it's the funniest song he's ever written, he says. Because here he is, you know, talking about folding shirts and his wife says he doesn't even know how to fold shirts. So she's not even sure <laughs> why he wrote that line. But it fits on, on the home, uh, fits very well. It was between this and, and the Springsteen song I'm going to talk about later because they're very similar in some ways. Um, but I, I just love that idea of, of taking domestic chores and making it a metaphor for changing your life. There we go. That's, okay. Here it is. I'm sorry. Hated Here by Wilco from Blue, Sky Blue Sky. No, great choice. Okay, well, um, this next choice, I, I have to ask your permission because I'm, I'm probably breaking the rules here, but I've actually chosen a suite of two songs, and if, if it's okay with you, I'm going to ask that we include both of them as my song, singular song selection. Well, let me ask you now, on, 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 the, on the liner notes, on, on the back of the, of the album, does it have a title with a colon and then different movements? Or is it listed as two separate songs? Well, it's two separate songs, but by a band that very often colonized and then uh, split into two. Well, let me ask you this. Right, do, 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 this do the songs do the songs blend together? Yes. When played on uh, the radio, do kind of like Queen with uh, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions, do they play them together? Uh, very, Just say yes, because yes, I'll say yes. yes. Okay, good. Okay. Then I'll accept then it. Then I win. Okay. <laughs> yes. You're like, it's never been played on the radio, so I don't know. Uh, no, it's, um, well, okay. Let me, let me take okay, a, yeah, go, a go. step yep, back here. Yep. Um, I'm talking about Genesis, okay, which, uh, of course, you know, they, they began as uh, at, at, at the forefront of uh, progressive rock. Um, Peter Gabriel, of course, left the band in 75. Steve Hackett left in 77. And, uh, you know. And then there were three. And then there were three, which was the, the name of the, their next album in 78. Um, Phil Collins, Tony Banks, and Mike Rutherford. Um, and once it was the three of them, just the three of them, they, be, they really began to transition, of course, to, to shorter songs. They, they, um, well, yeah, if you, you know, Peter Gabriel's not around well, anymore. <laughs> exactly. Although um, he had his pop stretch as well in the he, early he, 80s. But. He did. Yeah, Shock the Monkey. Yeah, absolutely. But he, um, yeah, basically Genesis, um, you know, they, they transitioned to shorter, more more pop-friendly songs, which excited new fans, but it really disillusioned those who had, you know, been used to Genesis's previous work. But, you know, the trend continued with the release of Duke in 1980. Great album. One of the best concept yeah. albums out there. Without question. And, and Duke, uh, it was their biggest, um, to, that, to that point, it, it was their biggest commercial success, of course. And then by the time they released Abacab in 81, Genesis had, had largely transitioned from progressive rock to a more commercial, pop-friendly style. Um, which is, is why I love the, the throwback because I, I'm talking about it's from their eponymous release, uh, the you know, self titled Genesis. Oh, gosh, another 1983. One, of my, one of my top albums of all time. Yeah, and so good. I am, in case you haven't figured it out yet, oh, I'm yeah, talking about Home by the Sea and Second, second Home, Home by, by the, the Sea. sea. Right. Um, just for the purposes, I, you know, if we were, if this were. 40 years ago and we had your Radio Shack, you know, mixer, <laughs> right. we, we could fade out and it'd be a beautiful, uh, you know, No, I agree. Choice. You, you got to include both yeah, of those. Yeah, you, you have to. I, you play both of them. Just, just for the purpose of our playlist. Yes. And Spotify is going to, it, I, I can't even imagine the abrupt, you know, splice No, you got to include both. I agree. Um, no, but it's, you know, I said uh, when we were talking about our criteria that one of the things that I consider was being trapped in the home. And Home by the Sea, it, it's so novel. It's unlike anything else that we've named here and probably will stand alone in that respect. It is really about 
a haunted house. It's it's a haunting. Um, it's it's such a cool number. Um, if if you're unfamiliar with with the song songs plural, um, well lyrically, I think lyrics. The lyrics are the same. And, and yeah, second no, home the, by the. Sea. I think second second home by the sea is all instrumental. I believe. No, it it does. Oh, it, does it it's, pull back? Yeah, it does come back. They they Near do. The okay. Yeah, there is. They do. That's um, true. Yep. Yeah, the, yep. there is that coda effect. You're correct. Um, but no, the the lyrics were written by keyboardist Tony Banks, and they tell the story of a burglar who breaks into a house only to find that the house is haunted. And, uh, you know, the burglars <laughs> That's think... That's kind of funny. And it is. I mean, it's, it would make a good short story, It would be wonderful, yeah. So basically, the burglar, he's, he's then captured by the ghosts, and they condemn him to a life sentence. He's now forced to listen to their stories until the end of his days, in which time, at which time he becomes a ghost trapped in the house, you know, second home by Should the sea. Should be forced to listen to our podcast. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> second home by the sea it was... Actually, it was a real experiment in terms of band writing, too. The three had just, they, they improvised. Um, Phil uh, had had this drum rhythm, and, and Mike and Tony just played. And apparently they, um, they, they had to re, you know, I guess they couldn't actually tie down any, any centralized. There, there were a couple of different songs right. that were being written, and they kind of pulled them yeah, together. Yeah, they pulled them together. Right. And then they, they selected their best you know, the best licks, if you will, and then they had to relearn what they had played. And it's just, uh, it's a phenomenal suite. I, it, it, you know, it really, it, it, it's a throwback to their, their progressive leanings, you know, at a time when they had really made the shift. And they yeah, even though, even though even later they continued to have progressive elements, kind of like Super Tramp in a way. Right. Where they had pop songs, but then they also included longer, like uh, Driving the Last Spike. Right. Uh, and then Invisible Touch. You even had a progressive instrumental with the Brazilian on, right. on, on Brazilian. Invisible Touch. You could even argue Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. It's eight minutes right. long with a very long, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know very instrumentation. Um, but no, I, I just... I wrote down Home by the Sea very early as I was preparing my list, and I just thought we could use a haunted house, <laughs> and um, I'm sure we'll 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 hit the monsters and the sorcery and the witchcraft and the magic come Halloween time. But I just, for me, it it, it fit this this particular theme, and I just just the the very premise. I I, I love the songs, and I thought let's do it. I won't lie. I did consider the song. Did you? Okay. Yeah, but and I love the song. Um, and I, I have a special connection to the song because my my grandmother had an organ, one of those old organs that you could flip the little you know to change the tone, the little lever things. And um, you know I've never had piano lessons, but you know what kid doesn't love to sit there and kind of peck out different melodies and, and learn how all the notes work together. Oh, absolutely. And so um, I remember at the time I had this this cassette. Uh, of like you mentioned the eponymous genesis album loved it still love it today 
And I remember working out um, the keyboard part to Second Home by the Sea on the organ. And okay. I even got the tone pretty pretty close, so great song. Yeah, I didn't choose it, though, because it didn't fit my criteria of you know either loving, leaving, uh, searching, or coming home. Right. So it's a great song, but I'm glad you included it. All right. Cool. I, I got permission. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right, to me. All right, yes. All right, we're now to the Bare Naked Ladies Face-Off. That'd be a good thing. The bare, bare Naked na- Ladies? Bare or Naked Ladies bare Face-Off. Naked. Okay. I said the, the meaning the face-off. <laughs> the face-off. All the right. Bare Naked Ladies Face-Off, <laughs> like I would say the... Rolling Stones face off, even though it's not. Well, Got it is it. the Rolling Stone. That's a bad example. <laughs> what, 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 anyway, what are we arguing? I don't, know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. even know. All right, go ahead. Um, the old apartment. Yeah, that's what I figured you were. Yep. I love Brian Wilson, but the old apartment is actually about a place of residence. Yes. Um, it, it was the first song that really kind of made them a mainstream band. They, they had, of course, a huge following in Canada prior to this. Uh, they had a smaller following in America, but the old apartment really is what kind of thrust them into the mainstream. Um, it's from 1996 on their third album, and um, it's just it's been misinterpreted by me as well as I think most people. We kind of saw it as a song where kind of a stalker ex-lover <laughs> breaks into his girlfriend's apartment uh, where they used to live and makes comments about it. But it's really about a couple that uh, they're still together and they've moved on. Um, maybe they have a bigger apartment, maybe they purchased a house, and so they have a lot of fond memories of this place where maybe they began the relationship, and they go back and they break into this old apartment where they used to live, and of course, bare naked ladies with, with, their, with their humor, um, of course, they're just things that tick them off, <laughs> like, like, why did you change this, and why do you still have that, and why did you fix this, and so it's just a simple song about nostalgia with, you know, the trademark bare naked ladies humor. You win this one. I, all right, I, I, I won't argue that. I one. feel like I've I've won every face off. Well, no, to date, because so. I, you know there's certain. <laughs> I, bat- I'll pick my battles, but uh, yeah, I'll take this one. No, the old apartment, and you know, I I've always thought that it was about a stalker too. Yeah. In fact, that was another theme that I even thought of not too long <laughs> stalkers. ago. Stalkers. Songs for stalkers. Every breath you take. Yeah, uh, Jesse's girl. You yeah. Know, yeah. I just, <laughs> it would be, well, be an interesting eight six seven five three zero nine. Yeah, right. I um, but no, I I. No, the other apartment makes perfect sense, and it's it's a fun song. It was their first major hit uh, here in the states. I, no, I'll let you have that one. All right, no, no, I won't argue. Brian, Brian Wilson will make it the, the it'll it'll be on the alternate playlist this time. So, all right, so it's it's my turn. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, it's hard to believe. I what is this episode five, episode six now? Not how many mixtapes have we made? 
Well, we made uh, the, the road trip, right? the sand and surf, the Father's Day, and the 4th of July. So this right, is so number this is five. Mixtape five. Right. All right. So it has been f- uh, four previous mixtapes have come and gone, and I have yet, neither of us actually, have yet to include the Beatles in any of our mixtapes. Um, Looks like we have a match probably on my alternates list. Here. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's long overdue. Uh, the Beatles are... are here uh, with me today, I, I chose She's Leaving Home from Sgt. Pepper's. Great song. Great song. Um, In fact, I only put it on my alternate list because I knew you were going to pick it. So, really? Yeah, I just gave it one. <laughs> well, and, and again, uh, perfect sense. <laughs> um, yeah, She's Leaving Home, I, it is just, it's a gorgeous song. Uh, it's not a happy song, <laughs> but it is, it's beautiful uh, from start to finish. And it's, it's really an anomaly among Beatles tunes in so many ways. Um, First, it was the first time that a Beatles song was not arranged by George Martin. Um, Paul, he, he read the headline. We'll talk about the headline in a moment. But he, he read the headline, came up with the idea, and he was just itching to get it recorded. And he, you know, he, he found out that Martin wasn't available, so he instead contacted Michael Leander, who handled the strings arrangement in Martin's place, um, which I, I'm sure hurt George Martin uh, a bit because, you know, he, he and the Beatles were you know, inseparable in so many ways. Um, but, but second, it was, it's one of only a handful of Beatles songs in which none of the Fab Four, not one of them plays an instrument. That's correct. Um, yeah, it, it, it's entirely uh, just strings in the background, which leads me to point number three. Uh, it was the first time that a female musician appeared on a Beatles track. You're saying this is the first Wings tune. Is that what you're telling me here? <laughs> Because everything else adds up to being a Winston. <laughs> it it kind of does, yes, but no. <laughs> okay, no, okay. No. This is not Linda, but rather Sheila Bromberg uh, played the harp in the background. First first female to perform on a Beatles track. Um, George and Ringo, they had, they had no participation in the track at all. And, you know, John and Paul, they, they double-tracked their voices. John did it often, but Paul, yeah, no, Paul John, not John so much. Yeah, John was notorious because he was very insecure about yeah, his voice. Yeah, so they, they, they both double-tracked to make it sound like a quartet. And then it is also one of the only handful of times that Paul really sings in falsetto because he, he, he did that very sparingly. Um, but he, he goes up high in the contrasting lines of the chorus. She is leaving home as John sings the, the part of the girl's parents, right? We gave her most of our lives. Um, it, it's just, it, it's so different, but yet it is so classic. I mean, it, it's it's just it's one of those songs it, it represents everything that was so incredible so amazing about the Beatles and um the most fascinating part of the story though is actually how it came to be that that headline that I had that I had referenced earlier Paul read a newspaper story it was in the Daily Mirror about a runaway girl right it was February 1967 that the headline read a level girl dumps car and vanishes now the girl was actually 17 year old Melanie Coe who had run away from home, leaving everything behind. And her father was quoted in the article saying, I cannot imagine why she would run away. She has everything here. Well, Paul put it together, and then he you know, took some, some creative license, and he wrote the song, She's Leaving Home. Um, but the kicker, the best part of this, is that Coe had actually met McCartney years earlier. Um, she used to, to go uh, to... There was a, there was a there was a club that she used to hang out right. with a lot of the artists and then there was a television show. Well, that, the tele yes the television show yes right. I'm, I'm, I'm I just drew a blank on the, on the name of the club but all the rock you know all the British rockers 
would go there, and I guess Co actually had a few one night stands with with some I, of them. I think in fact. George remembered her yeah. after this all came out. <laughs> but, but yeah, McCartney, unbeknownst to him, he he had met her, you know, personally three years earlier because in 1963 he actually chose her as the prize winner in a dancing contest on ITV's Ready Steady Go. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Rolling Stone they interviewed Melanie Co in uh, 2017 because it was the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper's. And uh, when they when they interviewed her, she said that it, it wasn't until years later that she pieced together that the song was actually about her. And she was she, she said in the interview, she's sure Paul has no memory of having met her. Um, she said it, it hurt her to listen to the song because her parents have since passed and they never did resolve their issues. Uh, it's one of her, you know, regrets in life. But more to the point, she said... Um, you know, she quoted, she said that line, she's leaving home after living alone for so many years, was so weird to her because that's why she left. She was so alone. And, you know, she made the comment, how did, how could Paul possibly know that those were my feelings that, that drove me, you know, away? And she said it's, it's you know, it, it's just amazing to her that he was able to actually come so close in his, uh, you know, lyrical you know, depiction. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those songs that has a great story behind it, and uh, it's just classic. I mean, you can tell, we mentioned earlier that Brian Wilson and uh, the Beatles were constantly competing back and forth yes. and, and with Beach Boys records and kind of topping each other and what they could do. And, and you can tell that songs like these <laughs> probably drove Brian Wilson crazy. Oh, without question. Um, because it's just hard to keep up. Yeah, well, in fact, Paul, uh, he visited Brian uh, Wilson and played the song for Brian, um, prior to Sgt. Pepper's release. And Brian Wilson, and both both he and his wife actually were in tears listening to the song because they felt that it was so beautiful. Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins Silently closing her bedroom door Leaving the note that she hoped would say more She goes downstairs to the kitchen Clutching her handkerchief Quietly turning the back door key Stepping outside, she is free. She. We gave her most of our lives. Is leaving. Sacrificed most of our lives. Oh. We gave her everything money could buy. She's It's just a, it's a shimmering, it's just a, oh, it's, it's, it's a heavenly song, really. I mean, it's that, that close to perfection and just the, you know, the strings, I, oh, it, it gives me chills just to think of the song and I, I, I can't get enough of it, so. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it was on my alternate list. I knew you'd pick it, um, a sad song, but nonetheless, completely fits my criteria of leaving home. Uh, home was uh, somewhere else for her, you know, a, a place in the heart that she wasn't uh, discovering where she lived physically. So very good. All right. Where does that, uh, let's see, is it my, my turn? Yes. My turn. Okay. Um, this one, I said I was going to try to keep the uncles out of this as much as possible because we've been using them so much. 
And I do have Springsteen on my alternates list, and I have Joel on my alternates list. Uh, I even have uh, Paul Simon on the alternates list. Uh, but uh, this one, I just had to, I had to put in. Um, it's Jimmy Buffett. Okay. I have found me a home. Oh. Um, early in his career. It, it's Be- early. Beautiful it, song. It's from 73's White Sport Coat and Pink Crustacean, which a lot of people feel is kind of his first album. He had a couple country-flavored albums, you know, earlier. But this is when a lot of the the beach themes, the Key West themes began to right. uh, show up. It was still a very country album. A lot of the tracks were oh, very, very country-influenced, country yeah. But you begin to see that side of Jimmy Buffett emerge on this album. What I love about it, it's, it's just a, a minimalist song. In other words, the song itself, it's minimalist. It's not really about much more than a person who lives in a beach town, owns a bicycle, and goes to the beach and goes to bars. Yeah. Very, very simple. Um, in, in many ways, I, I'm a minimalist in, in some of my tastes. You know, I, I really like movies that take place in one setting. Like, like The Breakfast Club was one of the first I remember seeing that yes. I love because movies just didn't do that. I mean, you know, the entire movie was in one spot. I love that. Our movies that have, you know, very few characters, one or two characters. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm not a minimalist in the way that I live because I still have stuff. But there's just something about that idea of, of being so content with the simplest things. It's very, very appealing to me. And so I don't know, I, I, in my own mind, the narrator of this song uh, was at one time climbing the corporate ladder and probably had sports cars and you know, lived in a high rise and had also, I mean, was the envy of everyone that knew him and realized that that really wasn't his home and decided to sell it all. And again, this is supported by the song. Decided to sell it all. <laughs> I was going to say, what, what you're describing is the weather is here. Yeah, yeah right, 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 right. I wish you were beautiful, yeah. but um, and Sold it all and then just, you know, buys a, a little shack uh, on some beach island and, you know, sells his cars and has a bicycle and, and just really appreciates the simple things in life. And so that's the home. I have found me a home. You know, it, it took a while, but this particular protagonist found that spot. And so... You know, I love the beach, and I would love to maybe retire. I'm not ready to, to sell all my stuff yet, you know, and go. But I could see a time when it would just the simple pleasures of just riding around on an island, just kind of going where the wind takes me. Very appealing. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. The days drift by. They don't have names. None of the streets here look the same There's so many quiet places Smiling eyes match the smiling faces And I have found me home Everything I own Cause I have found me a home Hey, I'm, I'm never going to object to, to Buffett. So, um, and it's a beautiful song. I mean, he... You're right. It's very minim- minimalistic. I, it, it reminds me. He, he has a number of songs that are trying to reason with Hurricane Season, Twelve Volt Man. They're they're all songs about just finding, you know, peace and tranquility uh, there in, in in the beach town, as you say. I mean, it's it's a wonderful choice. It's a great song. So, I I 
I'm, I'm at a loss what more I'm not to add. Read, there, there's, there, no, there's, there's no there's metaphor no, here. Yeah, there's nothing to I'm add. I'm not going to read but, anything into but it. But it, so. it's a oh, fantastic choice, Dave. Absolutely. All right. Well, I am now, I have two choices remaining, possibly, well, no, three, because I'm, I'm going to give you. I don't. Uh, ha- I haven't bare, had to use an alternate. I'm going to give you bare naked ladies this time. So yeah, I, wow. I, I'm about to hit my uh, my alternates list. I, I need to choose three. Um, the first one I'm going to choose. Uh, let's go right back to Brian Wilson. I'm going to choose Sloop John B by the Beach Boys. And you've stolen one of my songs for next week. Have I? All right. <laughs> That's yeah, okay. Well, um, it actually fits very well with either theme. I I, I went with uh, Sloop John B for home because. You know, the song is literally, you know, it's that trip from hell that we've all had. And, you know, it just, it's repeatedly driven in the song, I Want to Go Home. And to me, it, it, it just, it made more sense here than it did sailing. The Beach Boys have other sailing songs, of course. I don't know that any compare in, in you know, Well, that popularity. means I can use the other Beach Boys song that I wanted to, right. so that's good. Um, but no, Sloop John B, it was originally published as the John B. Sales. I, I, you know, it was a bohemian um Bahamian? It's uh, from Nassau. It's yeah, it's from the Bahamas. From Nassau. Bahamian folk song. song. Yeah. Um, And since the early 1950s, there there have been so many recordings of the song. Uh, Probably the most famous was by the Kingston Trio. Um, They uh, released their version. I want to say it was 19. Like late 50s, I think. Eight, yeah, 59, perhaps. Um, Well, Al Jardine who, um, Beach Boy, Al, Al Jardine, member of the Beach Boys, uh, in 1966, he approached uh, Brian Wilson, and he he basically said, I'd, I'd like to include uh, Sloop John B. On, on Pet Sounds. And Brian Wilson answered with a resounding no. Yeah, he, did, he didn't dig the folk movie. <laughs> yeah, in fact, he, he turned and said um, that, in fact, yeah, he... He did not like folk, and he did not like the Kingston Trio. So Al Jardine... I can kind of see that, just because, you know, Brian had all these intricate things going on in his head, and folk music is very simple. Oh, it is. A few chords, and I can see how he wouldn't be interested. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, but Jardine was persistent. He he basically sat down at the piano, and he he, um, basically, you know, re spontaneously there on the spot he kind of reworked the lyrics in, in the Beach Boy idiom and he changed the, the chords well he made it much more complex yeah. I mean, he took the three basic chords actually Al Jardine did that first yeah exactly to present it to Brian to show him what the song could be right and then not long after um, you know basically Brian called Jardine into the studio the very next day actually and played his rendition of the song and Jardine was blown away and you know Sloop John B made it onto Pet sounds. Um, now, uh, purists, and I'm sitting next to one. Oh gosh, you make me sound like such a snob. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> so, uh, basically, Beach Boys purists, you know, and they really, it's always been contested. A lot of people really think that Sloop John B should not and is not, uh, it is not meant for nor should it be on the pet sounds and that is album. the correct answer too <laughs> <laughs> so um you know at pet sounds it's it's the concept album and it's it's always been interpreted as a romantic and introspective concept album um it was thrown on the album so they could have a, a hit it could be i'm not it's, i'm, it's, I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue you mentioned or duke or earlier the same thing with misunderstanding great song in and of itself did not belong on duke it totally disrupted the flow of the album all right, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to refute you. I, I totally get it. Um, 
Yeah, its inclusion is argued by many because it contradicts the album's lyrical flow. It doesn't meet the criteria of the other songs in the album. I, I love it, um, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I, I listen to it in isolation. I love it. But if I'm going through the entire Pet Sounds album, it just it's very jarring for me. Right. And one, of course, it's the only song on Pet Sounds that Brian didn't write. Too. Now he did change. Yeah, he he arranged he, a whole he heck of a lot. Oh yeah. I mean, basically, almost could have co-writing, you know, oh, without, credits on it because he did question. a lot to yeah. it. Yeah. And you know, he some of the lyrics that he changed. He he went from "I feel so break up" to "I feel so broke up." Yeah, he corrected um, some grammar yeah, along the way. Broke up the people's trunk to broke in the captain's trunk, and without question, the most notable change was uh, it went from "This is the worst trip since I've been born" to "This is the worst trip I've ever." been on which was a wink to acid yeah yeah that's uh, Um, made it about a an acid trip right but you know what i i think that the song i'm gonna i'm gonna take the opposing view here i really do think that the track fits musically with the album um you have the chiming guitars the double tracked basses the staccato rhythms i mean musically i don't think it's that far off i i really don't but lyrically um i would even argue that the lyric i want to go home it, it kind of reflects other songs, um, the, the themes on, on the album, because, you know, the themes largely are about an escape to somewhere peaceful. It's about uh, seeking refuge. And, you know, I want to go home. It's not that much different than Let's Go Away for a While or Caroline No. We come on this loop, John B. All right, my last my last pick, and I have not had to choose any alternates. So unless you have this one also, then this will be the first time that I've gotten through without having to pick uh, from my alternate, which is a shame because I actually had some alternates that I was hoping to use, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> um, and I got to the point where there were several I could have chosen, and like I said, I tried to keep off some of the artists we've already used before. And I really try to be conscious of the fact that even though we do pick music from different time periods, we are the Gen X mixtape. And so we want to focus on that music from from the late 70s, 80s and early 90s. But of course, you know, we we Xers listen to to music from our parents. We listen to 60s music, in your case, even even late 50s music, you know, and then a lot of people I I kept up with a lot of alternative music in the 2000s. And you're still keeping track of of new music. So we are going to pick other songs but I felt like I, I really wanted something that was in the wheelhouse of Gen X and so I went with uh, Phil Collins which I can use because mm-hmm. Genesis is different uh, and I went with Take Me Home Take Me Home I, uh, yeah I figured that was where you were headed yep. off of uh, 85 No Jacket Required which was one of those you know mega albums that had a lot of singles and you know of course Phil Collins is, is very similar in, in, in sound uh, to Genesis in the way that you know he's a primary songwriter but of course it's very different he uses a lot more horns and you know they're they're very that's another podcast we can talk about yes. how how it's different. Well, we can talk to studio probably for hours. <laughs> so. 
Um, but this one is interesting because it fits again on two different levels. Now, um, I think we, in, especially in America, interpret it as about somebody traveling um, because the song itself was never originally intended to be a single. But he, as an actor, Phil Collins as an actor, was featured uh, as, as in a role on an episode of Miami Vice, which was very popular at the time. And the song itself was also featured. And so because it was popular on the, on the show, they decided to release it as a single, kind of hastily. And so there was no video produced for that. And so I, I'm pretty sure what they did was they took some clips while, uh, you know, Collins was on the road. And so he's lip syncing in front of some famous world landmarks like the Sydney Opera House, I believe, maybe London Bridge, maybe the Golden Gate Bridge. I don't remember exactly. Right. But it's there were, been years since I've seen it. And it's kind of stitched together this video that kind of suggests that somebody on the road wants to come home. But but Phil Collins has since said, you know, it's not really about that. Um, he had just uh, either finished reading or watching One Who Flew With the Cuckoo's Nest, and he wanted to write a song about somebody who was in a mental institution but wanted to come home and wanted to be healed, wanted to be free of, of whatever was ailing them. Mm-hmm. And so it, again, works on both levels. Um, literally, I want to come home from a trip or I'm just tired of being away or I need to come back to a place where I'm content and healthy. Great choice. Um, yeah, No Jacket Required. I, it was a fantastic album. One of one of the probably one of the last albums I bought on vinyl. Um, and yeah, I, I, one of the first I bought on cassette. So yeah. how about that? Yeah. There well, I was gonna say I was I was not far removed from making the jump to, to compact disc at that point. So, but um, no, I, I, it's an amazing album. I loved it. Still don't understand the studio. So I, I was, well, it's the studio. I was very very serious about having a podcast on trying to figure out <laughs> that was one of those songs where you know songwriters will use placeholders uh, yes. phonetic placeholders right and uh he's famous for sometimes just using the placeholder yep. in the end and just so that's what the going, was. going with it yeah all right so let's uh see what you got here for some right. your alternates. uh well this will be uh my 10th song of course I'm, i get to pick 11 um but my 10th song um it, it again comes to my alternates and I'm really, you know, I was really torn. I didn't know if I wanted to 
be this bold, this daring, especially in light of all of that, that that is happening uh, here uh, in the present. But it, it does not take away from the, the grandeur of the song. And I think the song, it, it's a classic. And honestly, I'd like to just have a, a real, you know, a, a meaningful discussion about it. I'm going to go with Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner. Um, and I realize that, you know, it's kind of a daring pick. Um, you know, we, I don't want to politicize this and our, our podcast is not a political podcast by, by any stretch. Uh, and I'm aware, you know, of, of, you know, all that's happening out there and, you know, the, especially the, you know, the growing discontent with all things Confederate and the tearing down of statues and getting rid of the flag. And I'm all for that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's long overdue and, you know, the, there's no need for a Confederate flag in my mind. You know, they, when you wave it, you're, you're celebrating a, 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 a political, actually not a political, a, a wartime enemy of the United States. So, you know, there, there is, there is that, that point to be made, but Sweet Home Alabama, it has a legacy of being very racist, very, um, pro-segregationist and it's, it's a really unfair, um, legacy because it's just not true. Um, it's, you know, it's revered by the state of Alabama, but none of the three songwriters were actually from Alabama. Um, two of them, um, Ronnie Van Zant and Gary Rossington, they were both from Jacksonville, Florida. And then Ed King was actually from Glendale, California. So Sweet Home Jacksonville just doesn't have the no, same ring. No, it doesn't. To exactly. It. Yeah. Um, Sweet Home Alabama was actually written as an answer to two songs by Neil Young, Southern Man and, and Alabama, um, which both deal with themes of racism and slavery in the American South. And in interviews, Ronnie Van Zant stated that the band felt that Neil was, quote, shooting all the ducks in order to, to kill one or two. And they, they name drop him, of course. Well, I heard Mr. Young sing about her. Well, I heard O'Neill put her down. I hope no Young will remember a Southern man. Don't need him around anyhow. Um, then it's fighting words. Uh, yeah, absolutely, right? But, but in his 2012 autobiography uh, titled Waging Heavy Peace, Neil Young commented on his role in the song's creation. And he actually wrote, um, my own song, Alabama, richly deserved the shot Leonard Skinner gave me with their great record. I don't like my words when I listen to it. They're accusatory and condescending, not fully thought out and too easy to misconstrue. Um, so, you know, the feud, it's kind of ironic. The feud between Skinner and Neil Young was always good natured fun. And their fans, uh, they're, you know, both, both fans of Young and Skinner really thought that the two of them, you know, had a, had a beef against one another, which just wasn't true. Um, in fact, Van Zant he would usually wear a Neil Young t-shirt when, when performing live. He wore it on the cover of Street Survivors, which was the last album before his death. See, urban legend that he was buried in a yeah, Neil Young t-shirt as well. <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, Neil Young, I, they were mutual fans. Neil Young has performed Sweet Home Alabama. So I mean, that whole bit is way overblown and you know people have mis misunderstood and misinterpreted you know that there was no no uh discontent no disdain for for each other uh as artists but the biggest misconception has has been without question that you know the song knowingly supported racial segregation um and the song has always been marred in that controversy. It's accused of racist undertones and it stems really from what well, begins with the lyric in Birmingham they love the governor now we all did what we could do. And, 
I would hope that our audience is familiar with Birmingham and the history of the civil rights movement. But, you know, if you're not, Birmingham was the center of, of the civil rights struggle in the 50s and 60s. And it was also the target of a white supremacist group's bombing of a Baptist church in 1964 that killed four young African-American girls. And the governor being referenced, of course, is George Wallace. He was a Southern populist and segregationist. He was not a nice guy. Um, but on the face of it, you know, the verse sounds pretty damning actually, except people don't listen to the lyrics because Van Zant very deliberately, very purposefully, and he, he, he commented on this in the media all the time, between those two lines, he wrote a very, um, you know, a very purposeful boo, boo, boo. And it's meant to, to, it's meant to represent and to, to sound like, and it, it is heckling at the idea that in Birmingham, they love the governor. In Birmingham, they love the governor. Van Zant, you know, he he was always frustrated that the media picked up only on the reference to the segregationists' love of Wallace, and they never picked up on the boo, 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 the heckling uh, of the band toward him. Um, nah, take it, take it for what it is. You know, you could argue that he's, you know, uh, backpedaling somewhat, I suppose. But uh, then you have the lines that follow. Now, Watergate does not bother me. Does your conscience bother you? Tell the truth. Which he always said the point that they were trying to make was that as Southerners, they didn't judge everyone in the North for the Nixon administration's failings. And therefore, Northerners shouldn't judge everyone in the South for the failings of the Wallace administration. Um, the, the larger problem, of course, is that the band always performed with the Confederate flag. But Van Zant also said that that was not their choice, that MCA, the record label, uh, basically, it was a gimmick they came up with and threw at the band uh, to try and play up an image as good old boys to try and sell albums. And Van Zant said that, you know, at first that uh, it was useful to, to gain popularity, but he also said time and again that very soon it became very embarrassing that the band uh, was not comfortable with the Confederate flag. But they continued to use it. But they it. continued they to continued use it. They continued to, yes. you know, not... Yeah, uh, come down on, on fans that brought it into the show right. and to display it in the audience. True. But but you could also argue. I mean, you know, early '80s. I was watching the Dukes of Hazard. You know, it, it's you know different time, different. I'm, I'm not excusing. No, it. no, 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 not not at all. Um, but then you have the last line, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Montgomery's got the answer, which is further misinterpreted. Um, people think that again, it's a celebration of Wallace, but. Um, really, what, what Van Sant said was that Montgomery's Got the Answer was a nod to Dr. King, who came out of uh, Montgomery. And, uh, you know, you had, uh, beginning with, with Rosa Parks and then um, ultimately, you know, the, the, the march from Selma to Montgomery. Um, so a, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have argued that it's racist. 
Van Zant himself, you know, and Van Zant's dead. You know, what the truth to all this kind of, you know, it died in 1977 on a plane crash. I can't speak for the band as it exists today. I don't know how relevant they are today. And I know nothing about the members who comprise the band today. But when the song was recorded, you know, from what Van Zant said, uh, you know, in the media, in interviews, you know, it, it it's a pretty... I think that the evidence is pretty striking that, you know, there was no malcontent that, you know, that there was no racial, no racist uh, under undertone to the undertones to the song. I don't know. I, I think that at the very least, including the song in this particular podcast, I think it makes for a very needed discussion, especially yeah. about cancel culture, which is happening. All well, yeah, I was going to say, you know. Point counterpoint here. So you mentioned Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't believe that the Dukes of Hazard television producers were at all trying to be racist. Right. However, it's it's a racist symbol, and at the time, you're right. In the context, most people didn't have a problem with it. We were too young to even really understand. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I visited Georgia. I went to Stone Mountain. I watched the laser show at Stone Mountain. Didn't think anything of it as a seven or eight year old kid. Right. Okay. You mentioned cancel culture. So yes, we're, we're in a stage now where certain things, we're not erasing from history, but certain things that we can no longer prop up. It, it, for instance, the statue issue. You know, Just because you take down a statue, just because you rename a military base that was named after a Confederate general that lost the war, right. that's not erasing history. That's simply we're no longer going to prop up these particular people. Right. And I understand people are going to argue, they're going to argue that it's heritage. And we're, again, we're not a political podcast. So we're not going to get into that. I will say this, though. It is, it is difficult for me with this cancel culture to decide where, as an individual as a, and as a culture, we need to draw the line. Okay? Yes, oh, I agree. So obviously, Harvey Weinstein, we all know about that. He was responsible for producing dozens and dozens of films, especially in the 90s, that were our favorite films of mine. Okay. Now, part of me can say, well, you know, he had something to do with it, but that's separate from the actors and the, and the writers of the movie. And yet, we don't know for sure, but if you were close to Harvey Weinstein at the time, and I could name some actors that were, they had to know something, oh. you would think, and didn't say anything, okay. so... And some have some have since come out right. and said, yeah, I mean... And, and so, like, do we, do we no longer watch those movies? And, and then Michael Jackson, my wife and I just watched that documentary on HBO... Um, which is awful. I mean, the documentary itself is, is very well done, and I think everybody should see it, but it's not a fun four hours, okay? And after watching that, I turned to my wife and said, well, that's it. You know, I don't think I can ever listen to a Michael Jackson song again, much less, you know, pick one for, for the podcast. And But then you can keep taking it further. I mean, let's go to the Beatles. I mean, I love the Beatles. John Lennon was not a very nice guy no. to his family. There are rumors um, that even Paul McCartney might have, been engaged in domestic abuse early on in his life. And so at what point do we say the artist can be separated from the art and that we can enjoy the art but not support the action? Because we all know that nobody is perfect and it's a spectrum, okay? So where do we draw that line? Absolutely. So I'm okay with having the song on the playlist, especially since you've taken time to explain how it may have been misinterpreted. And and may, right. I, I, I wanna emphasize that, Van Zandt, 
died. And again, I know nothing about the current. But it makes. I mean, I always did. Of the band. I didn't. Know. I always noticed the boo boo boo. boo. So yeah. you know, I always wondered about that. And I was never. I never read as much into the song about that particular song being racist. It was more along the lines of, of more recently, not even back then, but more recently, fans waving the Confederate flag and sure. using the co-opting the song, maybe as supporting. Segregation. Yes, and a lot of people have been playing the song very deliberately to try and you know make make a a statement of right. let's call it what it is a racist right. statement right. in the light in light of what's happening. Um, and I don't know. I just you know if we're doing a if we're really if we're doing a podcast on home sweet home Alabama is it's one of the the greats. I mean you know he's you know traveling home to see us kin i mean it's it's just to me it has a place and at the very least you know we don't live in a bubble and while we don't politicize it's not a political podcast you know a mature discussion about yeah, it no, and, and you know where artist and art right you know, like you said i mean it's i don't know i i i i was still reluctant to include it i have other alternates here that i'm not choosing instead of sweet home alabama but i it feels good to get it out there and you know we we don't repeat songs at least we haven't to this point which means i won't have to go through no, the no, explanation like I say, you, a second you time you defended so. it well um and I'm, and I'm still uncomfortable with it but that doesn't mean that i'm uncomfortable having it on the right the, the mixtape because of your explanation and i need to figure out where my line is with some of these things because i i love a lot of michael jackson music you know yeah um so i need to get to a point where maybe i can separate more. I don't know. It's a whole other discussion. Yeah. It's just a weird time we're going through right now. Well, it's a good. It's a good time. It's good that we're reevaluating these. Oh, things. absolutely. Because but, we do need to hold people to a certain standard. But what's that difference between a song or a piece of art being racist and then the artist holding certain viewpoints? That, like Morrissey, for instance. Morrissey and the Smiths are one of my favorite bands of all time. Morrissey has become very, very right wing in his politics and, and dealing with uh, immigration in, in London and England. Yeah. And, you know, some people go as far as to say, you know, he's become a, a Nazi and a lot of people have refused to listen to Smith's music. And where do we you know at what point do we draw that line? I mean, there are lots of artists that disagree with me, maybe politically, but where do I? It's just it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. Well, when you have, you know, Christie in New Jersey, you know, swearing, you know, you know his his love and devotion to Springsteen. Right. You know it's you know the other side seems to be able to do it as well. So I do yeah. know that there are a lot of artists that are very upset with Donald Trump for using their music in his rallies. Whoa! Oh yes, the Tom yes. Petty estate for one. <laughs> uh, Neil Young is another one. Uh, there are several that have been been played that they've been asked to cease yeah. and desist. That happens every campaign season, but Trump especially seems to really made quite a few artists upset. Um, but that's that's a topic for another another podcast, perhaps. So that was your tenth, um, right? That was my tenth, but okay. I need to pick one more All because right. I'm deferring to you on the old apartment. Um, I'm going to go with Homeward Bound. By that's Simon also on my alternates list. That's my Paul Simon uh, Simon and Garfunkel pick. Yeah. Um, beautiful song. Um, Paul Simon he, he wrote it after returning to England in the spring of '64. Um, he had previously spent time in Essex, and he became a, a nightly fixture at the Railway Hotel in Brentwood, beginning in that April. Um, he was reeling from from his brief period in Greenwich Village during the folk scene, as well as the recording of his first album, Wednesday Morning 3 A.M. with Art Garfunkel, um, which he anticipated would be a failure, and it it was. I mean, they essentially broke up after that yeah, album. They yeah. did, um, and it was also at the time that he met Kathy Chitty. Um, Kathy, of course, would become, you know, his, his girlfriend, and she she's very prominent. She she pops up in a number of 
Simon and Garfunkel tunes, um, you know, Kathy's song, most mm-hmm. obviously. America. America, which we've right. already talked about. Um, but basically, Paul Simon, he was, it was following a performance in Liverpool. Simon was waiting for the early morning milk train to London at a railway station. Uh, he'd been missing Kathy's company, and he began to write Homeward Bound on a scrap of paper. The station in question, it's generally reported as Widna's uh, railway station. And a plaque there actually commemorates the claim to fame. It, it, it's displayed on the, the Liverpool-bound platform of the station. Simon has actually been quoted as saying, if you'd ever seen Witness, then you'd know why I was keen to get back to uh. London as quickly as possible. Um, but, I, you know, the, it, it's just a beautiful song. And it's not, it's not a song that Paul Simon particularly cares for. He's, a he's, lot of his early material he doesn't care yeah, for. Yeah, he's, he's been very critical of that early Simon and Garfunkel work. But... Um, it, it was the, you know, it was their second uh, hit. Uh, the band, uh, basically, for those that don't know, uh, Sound of Silence was originally recorded as an acoustic song on Wednesday morning, 3 a.m. and With no rhythm track at all. Uh, no, exactly. And Pure folk. Once they had, uh, you know, broken up, Art and Paul had gone their separate ways, the, the record company added drums to the single, and lo and behold, they re-released it, and it became a huge sensation, overnight hit. So Paul and Art, you know, they came back together, and actually, Homeward Bound was their second uh, single. It was the the second song to be released. You know, uh, Sound of Silence was first, then Homeward Bound. Um, despite being their second single, it didn't actually show up on their second album. It was on the third album, Pars- yeah, they, Parsley Stage Rosemary. A lot of bands in the '60s released singles and then would either you know create albums with the collection of singles and B sides when right. they had enough material. And Simon and Garfunkel were that way a lot. Yeah, but no, it's it's a beautiful song. The you know the one man, uh, band, the poet and the one man band, and you know again like we've we've talked to other songs, just the the being tired of the road, being you know exhausted, touring, wanting to go home and you know be with the the person that you love. Um, no, it, it it I'm not suggesting it'll be the closing song, but it certainly you know it, it lends itself to that idea as we close the mixtape. I'm sitting in the railway station Got a ticket for my destination mm-hmm. On a tour of one night stands My suitcase and guitar in hand And every stop is neatly planned For a poet and a one-man band Homeward bound I wish I was Escaping home Where my music's playing home Where my love lies waiting silently for me Every day is an endless stream Of cigarettes and magazines And each town looks the same to me The movies and the factories And every stranger's face I see Reminds me that I long to be Homeward bound And, and the song that I'm more familiar The version I'm more familiar with Is because I had the greatest hits um, cassette When I was, you know, in middle school And I believe they include a, a, a live version Of Homeward Bound From Central Park? Th- no, not from Central Park Just from one of their Oh, just late six. I think okay. I, I may be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure it was the live version. But. Okay, I I my parents had uh, greatest hits on on vinyl, um, 
but I, I've only ever had uh, the compact discs. I, I have their full collection, and well, now I have it digitally, of right. course. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I've never owned my own copy of Greatest Hits, so I, yeah, I, I can't can't say. I think it's on Spotify. Um, all right, so my, the alternates I did not use mm-hmm. this show. I did not use um, Home Sweet Home. I actually had a power ballad from a, from a hair band. Thank my, you for not using <laughs> Home Sweet Home. Oh. Sorry, I, I'm a hair Come band on. elitist. Uh, you really are. Um, <laughs> no, Motley Crue is Gen X. I mean, it's, it's pure, no, they are. They pure are. Gen X. A lot of hair bands um, were Gen X. Yeah, so and, and they will have a place and a time on our podcast. But Oh, really? Uh, Maybe I'll be absent for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but Motley Crue did not make the cut this time. Home Sweet Home. That was uh, a song that everybody alternate. could play. Well, it's so simple. But they would, they would, oh, look, I can play this in the piano. Yeah. Well, you know, in fairness, it was, some people consider it, I mean, you know, you had some early um, heavy rockers like you had Nazareth, you know, Love Hurts. And, and in the 70s, you had... I like Nazareth. Yeah, but you, you had that presence in the 70s. But in the 80s, the power ballad, just it's it just stopped. Yeah. And Motley Crue, they, you know, in a very un-Motley Crue-ish way, they, they recorded this song and uh, it kind of set the bar. Suddenly the power ballad was back. Every rose has its thorn. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Motley Crue started the trend. So. I, I would, the cynic in me says that, well, first that it was done earlier with Beth with Kiss. And the cynic in me but says. Again, it's, but again, you're going back. Well, okay, I guess I'm, right. I'm talking. You're right. You know, you're right in the 80s. 80s. But the so. cynic in me says it's because they wanted to get girls on board. They want girls to become fans. Mm. And girls like the ballads. And so you, you know, increase. You increase your audience by having a power ballad, and the guys put up with it because guess what? My girlfriend's still listening to Motley Crue even though it's a ballad. But I would then argue, <laughs> so <laughs> okay. Yeah, just, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was the eighties. It was, it was yeah. the eighties. Okay. It was the hair band. It was glam but yeah, rock. Yeah, you had and, all sorts of yeah. those, big, those power hair ballads. Yeah. yeah, I mean Poison and Cinderella, and, and it's you, you can't dismiss that part of our audience. And Nirvana that, killed them all. Thank you, Nirvana. Ah. You are, you are. I mean, I'm a music snob, but oh, Dave, well, I wouldn't you, say Nirvana is even a music snob. Well, no, I love I'm, grunge is not that, snobby. That, that was I was not speaking out against a grunge oh, okay, just okay. now. I'm just saying I'm a music snob too. But man, you have your moments. Well, buddy. you got to understand that in the late '80s, when people were listening to the hair bands, I was listening to the Smiths and the Cure and you too. Oh, I know. And yep. all you know, Ten Thousand Maniacs and and Smithereens, and so that was a time where they were diametrically opposed musically. Yeah, no, I I totally get it. Um, and I was torn. I was kind of all over the place. I still am all over the place. I'm. It's you never know what I'm going to pull on my list. So hopefully, I, hopefully I keep it eclectic. Um, but I did not include Home Sweet Home by Motley Crue. I did not include Home by Philip Phillips. Um, and I did have. I had two others that I really didn't. I played with one, uh, almost made the list cause I, I am, I, I, I swear, you know, allegiance to the man. I think he's the greatest voice that, that ever recorded. I had Sam Cooke's bring it on home to me at one point as well as moving out by Billy Joel, but, oh, yeah, moving out but I, uh, did not use those and that would be my, my choices for yes. our mixtape this week. Speaking of Billy Joel, there are a lot. I mean, you have, yeah, moving out and, uh, gosh, uh, we we have a, should we tell them? We, we, we're uh, thinking about doing an artist spotlight that may or may it. not be Billy Joel. Yeah. I haven't decided. 
I, we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so we, we've kind of planned out, we think, maybe the next six or seven episodes. But, you know. But, you know, it's never and, bad to tease the audience to no, know that we're no, uh, maybe sticking around and, and hopefully doing some stuff that they like. But yeah. Anyway, I did. I also chose a Billy Joel song for my alternates list. I was kind of hoping I got to use it. Um, but at least we'll have it on the alternates list for people to listen to. Because it's not a song that most people uh, know. If you're a casual <laughs> Billy Joel fan, you may not know of this song. Which one? It's off of uh, Street Life uh, Serenade which was kind of his hastily recorded album after oh, Piano Man. Very rushed. He was actually opening for, yeah. for the Beach Boys uh, at the time, yeah. and so he kind of rode on the road. Great great Suburban Showdown. Great Suburban Showdown, Okay, which yeah. I think is one of Joel's finest lyrics. I, I like it musically. It, it's got a little bit of a, a country Americana yeah. twinge to it. Lyrically, I love the song. I, musically, it's, it's not bad. I'm just not a fan of Street Life Serenade. That, that, that's, it's got some, I mean, that album for souvenir me. Souvenir, and you got... Eh, well, entertainer. Anyway. Yeah. It's another another episode. <laughs> this song, when I say it's one of his finest lyrics, it's not necessarily poetic in, in a sense that uh, maybe he tried to be on like Summer Highland Falls. Right. But it is, it, it's just the story of, you know, it's an age old story of a person leaves home, a uh, person comes home for whatever reason, and in this case comes home and realizes why they left in the first place. And so it's got to be autobiographical because Joel, you know, grew up in New York and Long Island and he moved out to California to try to escape a bad record contract and played in piano bars and so on. And so I'm sure there's at some point he came home after living out in California and visited his mother, his father, who were split at the time. Well, his father was already gone. Gone. So his mother's house and, you know, sitting around in the suburbs, having a barbecue on a Sunday and probably looking around going, man, this is not what I signed up. Of course, he's in his early 20s at the time. Right. You know, uh, I'm sure now he enjoys probably living in the suburbs there in, in uh, on Long Island and just relaxing on a Sunday afternoon. But at the time, that was, you know, just it was hell for him. And I, I don't know. I, I like it. I like the way that he approaches the subject. I like the way that he kind of, you know, refers to it as, as a showdown because it's a showdown between the home that he grew up in and, and the home where... I guess he wants to go where he thinks he wants to go. Right. So it fits the theme and it's just, I, I love it. It's one of those dark horse songs that I will defend. I also, uh, we talked about She's Leaving Home, um, House by Ben Folds 5. Oh, okay. uh, actually, Ben Folds uh, put out a retrospective in 2011 and like record companies do, they want new material on a retrospective. So, you know, the true fans have to buy that too. And so uh, they suggested that maybe he take a few of the songs he was working on and reunite with the band, with Ben Folds 5. And so they recorded uh, two, maybe three songs for the retrospective. One was called House. Mm-hmm. Uh, lyrically, it's it's very interesting. You can look at it, again, as kind of going back to where you grew up, looking back in a nostalgic sort of way. In this case, it's more of, I don't ever want to go back to that place. Uh, some people have suggested it's Ben Folds saying he wants to take a musical departure from the music that he used to. Of course, especially with Ben Folds 5 stuff, it's a lot different than his solo stuff right um but it also could be interpreted to deal with mental illness as well um and and one's house and one's mind and and some of the issues that are going on there so uh, i didn't include it i like it lyrically it's not one of my favorites musically i don't think it's very musically interesting so that kind of kept it off the list but we'll put it on the extended playlist okay uh i also chose uh the boys are back in town from Um, thin lizzy thin lizzy which Great story behind that one. I mean, they were working on their latest album. They had like 15 demos. Uh, they sent them out. They thought they had the 10 that they wanted on the album. Um, they weren't doing very well commercially, so they were probably going to break up anyway after after these recordings were released. And one of the songs they didn't choose for the album 
the boys are back in town uh, was picked up by a few DJs in Kentucky of all places and it became a huge hit and the record company said oh America likes this one so they convinced them to record it and put it on the LP it was a big hit it saved the band allowed them con- to continue recording and so forth and even though it doesn't specifically mention home they're back in town so I envision these friends that are gone for whatever reason they're at college they're coming back at Thanksgiving or Christmas maybe it's a class reunion later on maybe it's a funeral or a wedding but for whatever reason the old gang they grew up together in high school are back and they're out for a night on the town to you know reminisce about the past and to kind of you know just cherish the memories that they had so yeah that's why I, I, I it could have easily been on the list it just there were so many good choices yeah. I couldn't well, and it, you know it's an amazing I would have been gung ho. Uh, then I, I love the song, and I've heard from from friends that 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 people do play this as like we'll get in the car when they're picking people up. At, oh yeah, uh, you know yeah. for a class reunion or whatever. It's, yeah. Absolutely, and it, I I don't know why I've always associated it as a summer song, and I, there's no reason to associate it specifically with summer. But for me, it's always been you know people coming back, you know, and 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 just. I, I always just imagine warm weather and sitting out on the patio and they're all, you know, laughing and talking and, you know, remembering the, the stories of their youth. But, um, yeah, it could be any any season. It, it's it's just a, a wonderful song. I, I love it. And then the last one um, was the Springsteen song, which I kind of said mirrored the song by Wilco. Um, it's a song that was recorded, you know, you're talking about um, 57 Channels. That was, you know, the, the human touch um, era. And this was a song, you know, Springsteen usually wrote on his own, but he was experimenting. He, here's the irony. He wasn't working with the E Street Band, but he wrote, co-wrote a song with uh, E Street pianist uh, Roy, Roy Bitton. And a couple of them ended up um, you know, appearing on Human Touch. This one didn't, which is a shame, because I think it's probably one of the strongest to come out of that recording sessions. Thankfully, um, Tracks came out in 1998, mm-hmm. which was a four-CD box set of songs that didn't make the album and you know not to spend too much time on it but Springsteen was very prolific uh, a lot of times it wasn't unusual for him to record you know 30 or 40 songs and then choose an album based on those 10 uh, with Darkness heck he had the whole Darkness album finished and he scrapped all of it and started over <laughs> yes he did and those songs have appeared now in an alternate album called The Promise which is which is a great uh, glimpse into the past but this one came on disc four of tracks and it just always stood out to me, even though that's probably my least favorite of the discs because I don't like, I shouldn't say I don't like, I don't, I'm not as interested in some of the dad rock right. uh, of Springsteen. But this one really hit me because lyrically it's so different than what he's done in the past. It's so poetic and it's about this couple doing domestic chores, kind of just washing the dishes, keeping house. But then there's like a little bit of an edge. Like if you listen closely, one of the first lyrics is, you know, you did the dusting, I did the sweeping. You did the driving, I did the sleeping a little too long. And as the song goes on, you find out that she's cheating on him and it has its own resolution. I don't want to spoil it, but just put it on the alternate playlist. Listen to it. It's very different than what you'd expect for Springsteen. Just a a, a beautifully dark song with hope. There, There I am again with hope at the end. Nope. So that's Trouble in Paradise by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, great, great selection. And that's it. That Those are my uh, alternate choices. So right. that puts us at the end. Well, we have to sequence and title this mixtape. So we will, ladies and gentlemen, be back right after this. All right, we're back just like that. Uh, we have discussed our choices, our 20 songs. We have chosen a sequence that I think we're going to be happy with. 
We have chosen a sequence for side A. We have chosen a sequence for side B. Alan, will you tell them the sequence for side A? Yes, here we go. We begin our mixtape with Sweet Home Alabama. Just go with the controversial one right off the bat. Right, right, right. Yeah, well, (laughs) then we're done with it. (laughs) So, Leonard Skinner, followed by 57 Channels and Nothing On by Bruce Springsteen. Hated Here by Wilco, followed by The Lazy Song by Bruno Mars. Work From Home by Fifth Harmony. Our House by Madness, Take the Long Way Home by Supertramp, followed by Sloop John B. by the Beach Boys, She is Leaving Home by the Beatles, and Home by the Sea, Second Home by the Sea by Genesis. Side A. And I think, boy, it's going to be an interesting mix because we really didn't follow as strictly. Last week, we were pretty strict on kind of thematic elements yes. um, and style. Um, this is just kind of what sounds good flowing into the next song. So this is more of a sonic sequence. Yes. I, uh, yeah, thematically, a lot of these songs do not go together. It's all over the place. Yeah. I like that. All right, so side B, we begin with Just Got Back by Cheap Trick, followed by The Old Apartment by Bare Naked Ladies, Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, followed by Come On Home by the Indigo Girls, Our House, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Can't Find My Way Home by Blind Faith, I Have Found Me a Home by Jimmy Buffett, Homeward Bound by Simon and Garfunkel, The House That We Used to Live In by The Smithereens, and we end with Take Me Home by Phil Collins. All right. That's a good list. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy with it. And our, our, I think our alternate playlist is going to be a lot of fun to listen to as well. So um, another, another very good week. So uh, again, want to remind you, our next episode, the theme will be sailing. So we're going to be on the water, not in it, but on the water. We're going to have a lot of duplicates, I think, on this <laughs> oh, one. Oh, <laughs> I think we're going to have a lot of matches, yes. Um, and then, uh, you know, as I, as we've said, we, we've been kind of planning ahead. Uh, we, we kind of have a, a rough outline of where we want to go from there, but we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves and, and announce anything that may change. But sailing is our next podcast, our our next episode next week. Sailing, we and maybe we'll discuss a little bit about the new genre, yacht rock. Oh yes, and what yacht rock means is it an is it an adequate and an appropriate description for the music that's played on yacht rock, like on the XM station? Yeah. So that'll be a good uh, discussion there. I do enjoy yacht rock, but it's yeah, it's generally it's often not about. The songs are not about sailing. Well, it's about uh, songs to listen to on a, In other words, uh, rich white people music. Yes, it, it's, it's <laughs> all it is. And, you know, it, there's a particular sound to it. Well, we'll talk about it we'll next week. We'll talk about that, yeah. Um, but, no, all in all, I think we've done another fine job. Hopefully, uh, the audience will agree. And, again, please communicate with us. Shoot us an email if you disagree with our, our choices. Uh, or if you agree and want to say that one of us was right and the other one was wrong and it's me, then you can go ahead as well. Yeah, if you, if you want to agree with Dave, Sloop John B does not belong on Pet Sounds, you, you, you're more than welcome to to go ahead and bash me all you Please. like. Please, I know a lot of people listen to podcasts, and I'm guilty of it too. Occasionally I will send something in or, or start a dialogue, but I don't a lot. And that, that you know, I, I think maybe some people don't write in because they feel like we don't want to be bothered or it's just going to be more noise to sort through, but that's the exact opposite. We want a dialogue. We would love it if we were able to take time every single episode and read a communication or two and, and discuss what they had to say and, and read it on the show. So please, and then I'm not, you know, not too proud to beg for reviews. So get on those iTunes um, or the Apple podcasts and, and give us a review. 
um, or something on social media, and we'll read that as well. So Absolutely. Thank you very much. Like you say, it's sailing next week. I think that's all we have, right? That's it. Thank you for uh, sticking with us for another couple hours. I'm not sure what the final time is on this one, but it's probably not. I think that's going to be our, our comfort zone. It's about two hours. Yeah, so I think that's what we're... Hopefully we're, people are good with that. What we're looking at, yep. All right, well, hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next Sunday. But for now, it's time to press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. But we will see you on the flip side.